Are you ready? This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, folks? It's My Take Radio, episode 64, for Thursday, November 4th, 2010. The intro music you just heard was The Omen of Geneva, and the artist was Neko Frog 1, N-E-K-O Frog and the number 1. The website where you can get that and previous intro music is ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. Well, back in for another installment of MTR. We're approaching our 65th episode. After last week's really great interview with Amazing Red, things have been uh, really busy behind the scenes at MTR just in regards to a lot of things we have going on Um Red's interview was very successful, lots of downloads. I think it's already approaching the 200 download mark for one single episode. I mean, uh, the Darksiders and Deadliest Warrior episodes have also surpassed the 200 mark, but this is actually happening at a much faster pace. In addition to that, um, some of the other shows that hadn't been updated are now on iTunes. You can get those in the um, iTunes store, just go and look up My Take Radio and click there and download the episodes as well as on the app. If you have the My Take Radio app, which is just $1.99 in the iTunes store, you can have access to all the shows in your pocket. Nonetheless, with all that being said, a couple of things came out of that show last week with Red that I wanted to just discuss. First off, of course, um, a lot of new fans were brought on board Due to, re- due to them being hardcore, um, amazing Red fans. So definitely welcome to those guys that enjoyed the show last week. Um, definitely been getting feedback from them in regards to the interview, and they were very happy with um, the vibe of the show and our professionalism. And they were, you know, they were all cool with how Red was treated. Red had a good time, I feel. Definitely would love to have him back. I know that when he does open his wrestling school, we're going to try and go in there, take some photos, write a nice post on it. Uh, Red is a hard-working dude, very nice. He's very humble, and I give him all the respect, especially for toughing it out with what's going on in TNA presently. One thing that did come out of there that was very strange was, of course, the call from the um, Internet host and YouTube channel um, moderator, Lorenz Dean, who, of course, has some issues with Red and took the opportunity to call into the show. I actually did extend an invitation to Mr. Dean to come on My Take Radio just to discuss the current state of wrestling. I never heard back from him, but uh, uh, Lorenz, if you are listening, the invitation is open. I definitely would like to talk to you further about wrestling in general. Um, just just shooting the shit, so to speak. Nothing crazy. We can You can come on, talk about some wrestling, and, you know, give us a little bit more insight to 
what you're doing and how you feel about what's going on in wrestling. So again, that invite is open. Definitely um, hit me up, uh, mtrhost at gmail.com to set that up. Would love to hear from you. Um, in regards to some housekeeping, of course, the ads are slowly going to start changing in a couple of weeks. They're going to start going to a 125 by 125 size. Uh, a couple of reasons. Number one, it will help the site load easily. Number two, they just don't clutter up the page. And number three, I will be selling ad space nice and cheap. You'll reach at least 3,000 people a month because that's what we're averaging, by the way. We're getting about 3,000 hits a month. Uh, the page gets an average of about 150 views a day, depending on the articles, especially some of the new ones that are up. Uh, we got new content from Slick. We got new content from Ant. He actually wrote a really great review about the premiere episode of The Walking Dead, and we're actually going to be doing something with those Walking Dead reviews in the future, so definitely keep an eye on the site. Once I talk to the rest of the MTR staff, I think you're going to like what we're going to do in regards to the episodes of The Walking Dead. Uh, the donation button is still there. Those of you that have donated, thanks. I know that the economy is fucking tough, so your donations have been uh, well used in terms of keeping the site running, so thanks a lot for that. Um, the Facebook fan page, we're actually at 449 fans, uh, you know, just hanging out, teetering on that 450, so definitely um, I want to try and do something special when we hit 500 fans. What it is, I have no idea, but... Definitely, if you haven't become a fan yet, go to facebook.com slash mytakeradio. I'd like to welcome some new content partners also. Obviously, you've been seeing some new wrestling content from Verk. Verk is supposed to be my guest this evening. He is actually going to be calling from Israel. I do not know if he's actually going to be able to make it. I know that we were having some issues in regards to setting up Skype for him to call in. But I did email him, so he may join us later on in the broadcast. If not, um, the door is always open for Verk to come back in. Nonetheless, his show is the week, This Week in Wrestling, and he is providing some wrestling content for My Take Radio, so definitely welcome to them. And our newest co content partner is Josh from MMA Valor. Definitely want to welcome him to the, to the MTR stable, so to speak. Um, Josh and MMA Valor have been huge supporters of My Take Radio, and he will be providing uh, new MMA content for MTR. So it's already gotten started with one of the newest articles regarding the UFC and WEC merger, so you can read that. And also, if you want to read any other content, head over to MMAValor.com as well. He actually sent a new article regarding this week's Ultimate Fighter, which I will be posting after the show and I will also be discussing this week's Ultimate Fighter tonight. Lastly, Splatterhouse Contest. Basically, um, West Mansion, in, in an effort to continue promoting Splatterhouse since they were unable to come on the show, have decided to give us um, some T-shirts to give out to the MTR fans. As such, I've decided to do a, a contest for this, just because it would be something different. It would allow... Uh, the creative juices of the MTR fans to flow, and just to see something new and different. Basically, the way I'm going to do it is um, you guys can either do photos or artwork, however you want to do it. Just the best uses of the MTR and Splatterhouse logos. It could be photos with Photoshop. It can be you holding up a sign with Splatterhouse and My Take Radio. Any way you want to do it, just the best representations of MTR and Splatterhouse uh, from the fans, whether it's drawn, whether it's, you know, fucking 
drawn on yourself with a Sharpie, lip, drawn with lipstick on your face. I just want to see what the fans can do and be creative with regarding those two logos. You can use characters from Splatterhouse. Um, you can go on the Facebook fan page, see some of the MTR logos. I actually put one up just to show a sample, and I use the character of Rick from Splatterhouse, and he actually has the MTR logo tattooed on his chest. So you can definitely head over to the Facebook fan page and see that so you can get an idea. But any submissions like that will um, will be welcome. Of course, the top five submissions will be getting T-shirts. I'm thinking I'm going to run the contest throughout the month of November and go right into December. I'm thinking that the contest may end probably either December 2nd or December 9th. I will put up a formal post on mytakeradio.com uh, outlining the rules in their entirety. But, again, really simple. MTR logo, Splatterhouse logo or characters, drawn, photoshopped, manipulated. It doesn't matter. However you want to submit it, the, the top five or most original and, and coolest-looking entries, of course, will be getting T-shirts. You can email your ent entries to mtrhost at gmail.com. Make sure to include your real name if you go by any sort of handle and your um, mailing address. And like I said, top five winners will get a West Mansion Splatterhouse T-shirt. I actually did take a photo because I actually won a shirt from them as well um, of what the shirts look like. I will take a photo and post it on the Facebook fan page so you guys can see what you're competing for. So that's pretty much the Splatterhouse contest. I I'm looking forward to seeing some of your entries. I'm thinking that we can probably do it, like I said, um, over the course of November, ending either December 2nd or December 9th. I'm thinking probably December 9th, just to give a little bit more time and taking into account the Thanksgiving holiday. In regards to that, there will be a holiday schedule for MTR, given that a lot of the holidays are just structured in such a way that it's Thanksgiving, of course, obviously interferes with a live broadcast for Thanksgiving, but I am almost 60% sure I will do a show that Wednesday, November 24th. Um, we'll definitely be keeping you guys up to date with that, whether via the Facebook fan page or the site or over the next few episodes. That's definitely going to be happening for sure, probably the 24th. In regards to the holidays in December, there probably will be live episodes of MTR December 23rd and December 30th, unless things change and I decide to take the the two holiday weeks off, there will be content for December 23rd and December 30th. So keep that in mind for the holiday season. And, of course, last but not least, the MyTake Radio forums, we're slowly approaching 30 fans on there. It's weird. I just want to take the opportunity and, and go into that a little bit. We got 450 fans, yet 30 of them are in the forums. Um, the interactions on the fan page are great. I like seeing you guys contribute and share your your jokes and your insight regarding some of the stuff I post in terms of trying to communicate with you guys more frequently. But I'm not seeing as much carryover into the forum. I don't know if it's because you guys don't want to join a forum or because you guys aren't, you know, you just you guys aren't into it. Definitely want to know where the breakdown is. I mean, the forums are easily accessible. You can go in there. Our rules, while they are pretty, you know, pretty basic across the board, we, we don't break a lot of balls in there. Slick actually moderates the MTR forum, as does my fiancé, as does Bronx and myself. And, you know, we, 
we're, we're, we're very, um, I don't want to say lax, but we're definitely flexible in regards to how the, the, the behavior on the forums go. Um, you guys can pop in there and you guys can see, you can even listen to the show on the forums as well. So definitely stop by in there. I want to see more of you guys in the forums because I want to communicate with you guys more often. So we'll see what's up with that. But that's the rundown. That's the housekeeping. Um, tonight's topics, we're going to talk, of course, TNA Impact, Monday Night Raw, this week's Ultimate Fighter. I want to talk about the Connect launch. I really want to talk about the whole Supreme Court violent video games case, which is a complete load of shit for a multitude of reasons. We got some casting news. We got some what-the-fuck movie news, because there's always at least one of those every episode. And with that said, let's get the ball rolling. First off, instead of starting with the MMA news, I want to talk about this week's Ultimate Fighter. Um, of course, this, the wild card fight was this week, and the fight was with Aaron Wilkinson and Mark Stevens. Of course, one of the big gets for the show this week was the confrontation um, between the EMT and Josh Koscheck. Um, early on, Brad Tate, of course, being the EMT on site, has been having words with Koscheck. There was a, a pretty big exchange. And it was just, uh, you know, one of those things where it, w it was definitely the, the marquee moment of the show. It definitely solidified Josh Koscheck as a bad guy. One of the things I did notice, though, and I, I've taken this into consideration, is that even though Josh Koscheck likes to play the role of a dick, I think that part of it is the fact that he knows that, that from a marketing standpoint, him being a villain works. Like some people, they actually find a niche and they run with it, whether it's, you know, being the consummate good guy, the consummate bad guy, the professional. I think that Koscheck knows that people will be more prone to wanting to see him get his face punched in than anything else. So he really knows how to market himself. And in a way, I, I admire that. I think that's really a, a smart a smart way to do things. I mean, GSP is such a such a nice guy. I mean, I met the guy. The guy's very humble. He's very soft-spoken. You know, he's true to the game. He, he really is a professional through and through. And to have Koscheck constantly baiting him and fucking with him, you know, it, it, it makes for great TV. The only thing that bothers me is that it's kind of taken away from this season's fighters. And I'm not saying that because there aren't any standouts. There are a lot of great fighters on the show. But I just think that over the last couple of seasons on The Ultimate Fighter, they try and focus too much on the coaches and not as much on the fighters, either because the fighters aren't doing a good job of, of standing out on television. I don't know. There just seems something amiss over the last few episodes. I mean, I could be wrong, but it's just something I see. It's, it's weird because you got, you got seasons where you, you get so many great characters. And hell, in the first season, you had Lieben, you had Koscheck. You have Bobby Southworth, Forrest Griffin, Stephen Bonner. These are all guys that they just, they just stood out, and, and you know what? They're still there. And then over the, the seasons that passed, you had a couple of, of, of standout guys. You know, of course, Roy Nelson, uh, Kimball Slice when he was there, Matt Mitrione. You got guys like that, but then you just got guys like, you know, Escudero who won the Ultimate Fighter, got cut. Again, good fighter. Just, I don't know, it just... I don't know if it's really the basis where they're not connecting with the with the TV viewers or the or just the way the editing is done. But I just feel that the last I'd say the last three seasons just haven't shown us standout fighters. I think Bruce Leroy this season was definitely a guy that jumped out 
just because he was unique, you know, his shit talking and all that stuff definitely was something that jumped out, but it wasn't, it wasn't, I don't know. It's just not a great selling point in terms of connecting. They're just focusing too much on the coaches. I don't know if they're going to want to reevaluate that in the upcoming seasons, but definitely it's something that stood out. Just wanted to, to throw that out there. Regarding the fight with Aaron Wilkinson and Mark Stevens, of course, this was the wild card fight. Um, Aaron Wilkinson had, had a good performance. A lot of people, of course, expected some of the other fighters that had better performances get the wild card spot, but it ended up being Wilkinson and Stevens. And Stevens, of course, Josh Koscheck's boy, he got choked out really quick in his last fight. And sure as shit, Aaron Wilkinson took this fight again with a submission by locking in a guillotine. So with that said, Michael Johnson, Jonathan Brookins, uh, Bruce Leroy, Kyle Watson, Cody McKenzie, uh, Sako, Nam Fan, and Aaron Wilkinson are your, your, your remaining fighters. Next week, two fights are going to take place. Sako is going to be fighting Brookins, and then Nam Fan is going to be fighting Cody McKenzie. And it's just going to be a huge lead-up to the finale, of course. I think that, you know, the quarter the quarterfinals are looking really good right now, especially with – I mean, Michael Johnson definitely is a standout guy to keep an eye on. Brookins just is a sleeper. He may take the whole thing. You don't know. Bruce Leroy, of course. Cody McKenzie is another guy that you didn't expect was going to go in there and whoop ass, but he did. Uh, Sako's a maniac. Nam Fan, everybody expects him to take the whole thing, so keep an eye out on him. And Aaron Wilkinson, of course, definitely showed uh, an improved game in the in the wild card fight. So it's going to definitely be a great way to close out the season. Uh, my pick, honestly, to take it, I'm going to be honest. I, I see the final fights being Michael Johnson and Sako from, from Team Koscheck. Uh, again, that's my pick for the, for the finalists. I could be totally wrong, but I don't know. Michael Johnson just has that, that it factor, and he, he has marketability. I mean, don't get me wrong. Bruce Leroy definitely would be, would be a cool pick to have, and the guy knows how to stand out from all the other fighters. But in terms of just athleticism and, and fighting, Sako and Michael Johnson are my picks. Uh, worst case, definitely Nam Fan and Michael Johnson, but... From Team Koscheck, those are my only two picks. I like Wilkinson, but against Johnson or even Jonathan Brookins, I don't see him faring so well. All right, let's get into some MMA news. First off, of course, the UFC-WEC merger is definitely starting to put some fights together for the upcoming UFC shows. First off, Josh Grisby, who was supposed to be fighting Eric Koch at WEC 52, is going to actually now be fighting for the featherweight title against Jose Aldo at UFC 125. Of course, UFC 125 has the Frankie Edgar-Gray Maynard fight, and that's going to take place January 1st at the MGM Grand in Vegas. So definitely great to see the WEC fighters jump right into the UFC immediately. I think one of the things that I like the, about this is you actually get to see Jose Aldo on pay-per-view. If you haven't seen this guy fight, you guys, homework assignments, you guys need to go on YouTube and punch up Jose Aldo and see some of his highlight reels. He goes out there and really just throws ass whoopings around like it's nobody's business. I really like watching him fight. He's very exciting. Josh Grisby's no joke either. He he actually can come in there and do some damage, but I don't know. Jose Aldo has that, that Anderson Silva vibe about him where 
where he's just going to go on a, on a on a tear and just rip through the division and then go up in weight and move into lightweight and possibly do the same thing. So definitely UFC 125 is going to be a pay-per-view to watch for sure. One of the, the big things that has been discussed on the web recently has been the fights that should be co-promoted between Strikeforce and Bellator. Of course, Bjorn Revney from Bellator has gone on record saying that he has reached out to Scott Coker on multiple occasions to try and set up a fight between Eddie Alvarez and um, Gilbert Melendez. Of course, a lot of shit going on, a lot of shit talking. Um, Eddie Alvarez, of course, fought uh, Roger Huerta. Roger Huerta came away from that fight with broken orbital sockets, in bo- uh, broken orbital bones on both sides of his face. Eddie Alvarez has hands made out of fucking granite. This guy is like watching the Sandman in the comic books form his hand into a hammer and punch Spider-Man. This is the kind of shit that these are the kind of guys that you watch fight and when they you watch fight and when they hit somebody you just you just cringe because you know that something's getting broken, either a facial bone or a jaw bone. So of course one of the big things that everybody's talking about is Gilbert Melendez fighting Eddie Alvarez and. A lot of back and forth. Bjorn Revney has, has actually gone to showing text messages that he sent to Scott Coker to set it up. Scott Coker, of course, oh, Bjorn texted the wrong number, this, that, and the third. Here are some of his newest comments. When asked about his thoughts on C, on Bellator CEO Bjorn Revney, he said the following. It's something that Bjorn has chosen to take up publicly and come after us. Coker told HDNet on this week's MMA, Inside MMA, he really wants to put something together, but he should just call me direct. When asked if they talked, he said the following. We talked three or four months ago. Gilbert was hurt at the time, but Gilbert is going to be scheduled most likely to go to Japan. Timing will be an issue. There's a lot of business issues that people would not normally think about. I don't blame Revney because who's, going, who's Eddie going to fight in Bellator now? Eddie beat Roger Huerta, and if you look at their roster, I'm not sure who he fights. When asked if he was opposed to a strike force and Bellator fight, um, co-promoted bout, he said, you know what, we're not opposed to the fight, but the circumstances and the timing have to be right. Coker went on to say, like I said, if Bjorn wants to do a business deal, he should call me directly. You know, I really think that they should work together and definitely co-promote a couple of cards. Bellator has great up-and-coming fighters. They have a really nice format. All the fights that they've been putting out are exciting. Strikeforce has a decent roster of fighters at the heavyweight division. they got a good crop of fighters. But, you, you know, UFC is definitely watching these two organizations because they're definitely ripe for the picking. I mean, Dana White himself says you don't, he, that he doesn't want organizations like this to go away because they generate and create new fighters for, for the UFC. So, Definitely something that's nice to see Dana White acknowledging the competition and, sh- and, and letting the, the fans know that he really wants them to succeed because they're creating new talent that may someday fight in the UFC octagon. Honestly, Scott Coker, I like the guy. You know, he's doing a, a pretty decent job with Strike Force. He likes to double talk a lot, I've noticed. Definitely, he likes to say a lot of crazy shit and talk out of his ass. And, you know, that's good and bad. I mean, it works for Dana White but it doesn't work for everybody. You really got to be careful with how you, you vocalize your opinions because not everybody's going to sit and laugh about it like when Dana White does it. Some people may just look at it and be like, oh, this guy's trying way too fucking hard to be controversial and be different or be like Dana White. I honestly think that Strikeforce and Bellator definitely should work together because if they don't, I definitely don't see one of them making it, and I think Bellator has a, has a better format 
Strike Force is doing good with Showtime, which is which is nice and all, but you don't see them on CBS anymore. They're rumored to definitely be back on CBS in the future, but after that big melee that happened during the last CBS show, I'm definitely seeing CBS definitely approaching that with a with, with real caution because they they they're, they got a bitter taste in their mouths and you know Strike Force's production honestly to me needs a lot of work. It just does. I mean. The fighters are good, but their production value is definitely in the toilet. In some other MMA news, um, a heavyweight bout has been signed between Matt Mitrione and Tim Haig for UFC Fight Night 23, the Fight Night for the Troops show. Uh, rumored bouts for that card are Eve Edwards versus Melvin Gillard, of course, Mitrione and Tim Haig, Mike the Joker Guyman versus Demarcus Johnson, and Amilcar Alves is going to be fighting Charlie Brenneman, Mike Swick is also rumored to be on that card. Definitely uh, something I'd, I'd want to see. I definitely want to see that Eve Edwards and Melvin Gillard fight for sure. Um, Matt Mitrione is growing on me. I think a fight with him and Tim Haig should be exciting. Tim Haig, though, he's 1-3 in the UFC, so I think that if he loses this fight, he may be shown the door. I hope not, but it's looking that way. Um, in some other UFC bout news, there's going to be a rumored welterweight fight between Carlos Condit and Chris Lytle, uh, rumored for UFC 126. Um, there, a lot of people were um, really kind of shitting on Carlos Condit just because he was gonna he was given a fight with John Fitch or he was offered a fight with John Fitch, and he said that he didn't have enough time to prepare, um, considering that it was going to be Super Bowl weekend. How legit that is. I don't know. I mean, Carlos Condit, I think he's he's taken not the safer fight, but definitely fights that are more exciting. Not to say that him fighting Fitch wouldn't have been exciting, but a fight with Lytle, man, those are always fight of the night and, you know, bonus fights, so to speak. There's always either submission of the night, KO of the night, fight of the night there. Hell, we can even see the first fight of the year for, 2000, for 2011 with these two exchanging. I definitely would want to see it. It's going to be fireworks for sure. In addition, Anderson Silva is going to be fighting Vitor Belfort. That's the rumored fight for UFC 126. Forrest Griffin and Rich Franklin, Ryan Bader and Johnny Bones Jones, and Jake Ellenberger and John Fitch, and, of course, Carlos Condit and Chris Lytle. Moving on to some Strikeforce news. Strikeforce announced via press release that they actually have signed a welterweight bout between Marius Zaromskis and Joaquin Spiritwolf. I actually watched Spiritwolf fight during the last Strike Force event, and that guy is no joke. I mean, he's he's 0-2 in Strike Force. He's 13 and 5 overall in MMA. I mean, oops, sorry, he's um, 8 and 7 in MMA, and actually he had a loss in Strike Force. And Zaromskis is 13 and 5, and he's 0-2 in Strike Force. Definitely a make-or-break fight for these guys. Of course, Zaromskis is. Uh, Known as the Raging Demon, he tends to come out dressed as Akuma from Street Fighter, so he gets some, some cool points in my book. But Spirit Wolf, that guy makes exciting fights. So Strike Force Challengers 12 is going to take place November 19th. You're going to have Zaromskis and Spirit Wolf as your uh, probably your main event. you got Vitor Shaolin Ribeiro on that card. you got Antoine Britt. Um, and, of course, you got Jan Finney on that card as well, so you're going to get a little bit of women's MMA action, and that's going to be... November 19th on Showtime. In regards to what I said earlier about Scott Coker and running his mouth, Dana White actually had some really 
wonderful things to say about him, and I say that with much sarcasm. Scott Coker, of course, um, went on record to say that he feels that Dana White is like Don King and that he is like Bob Arum. Of course, Dana White did not take too kindly to that, and here is what he said. He fucking wishes he was Bob, said Dana White. Are you fucking kidding me? Bob Arum put up some, put put on some of the biggest fights in boxing history, and Bob is actually successful and made money. For you to compare yourself to fucking Bob Arum is hysterical. You can call me Don King or whatever you want, but calling yourself Bob Arum is a fucking joke. Coker made the comments recently on on an interview during Bloody on BloodyElbow.com. He said, Dana's kind of like Don King. He's out there. He's out promoting his brand as well as the company brand and the fighter brand. I'm more of a very direct businessman. The guy I really liked wasn't Don King. To me, it's okay being Bob Arum. I'm a lot, I'm, in a lot of Bob's early fights, you didn't even know who promoted the fights. The fights were amazing. They were great, and they were focused on the athlete. That's been my philosophy, too. The stars of the show are in the cage. White's biggest problem in regards to that was the following. Bob Arum, of course, put on the biggest fights in history and has been incredibly successful. Coker has done neither. White said he does hope that strike force continues. We couldn't care less what they're doing, but we don't want them to blow their brains out and go away. We need these guys to exist. Listen, whether they want to believe it or not, they're the small show. They're a feeder show. Whether they want to believe it, that's what they are. We need them. When you're a tiny little feeder show and hanging on by the skin of your teeth and you compare yourself to Bob Arum, are you kidding me? He said, what a fucking joke. Of course, those wonderful comments are courtesy of MMAJunkie.com and, of course, uh, the comments that uh, Scott Coker made are courtesy of BloodyElbow.com. So the war of words continues between these guys. <sighs> it's definitely interesting to watch when the presidents of the companies hate each other, well, dislike each other just as much as some of the fighters do. With that said, I'm going to take a commercial break. We're going to talk some wrestling right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... <laughs> well, you won't listen to that on our show because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter... Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights, on all games. All right, and we're back. Let's talk some wrestling first. Of course, Monday Night Raw opens things up. I I definitely want to say it was um, broadcasting from the Nassau Coliseum, which is actually five minutes away from my job. I didn't get a chance to buy any tickets. A little bummed about it. Pee Wee Herman was your guest host. Take that for what it is. Nonetheless, let me run down some of the matches. Nexus, Justin Gabriel and Heath Slater defended their tag team title. Well, nope, correction. It was a non-title match, sorry. Against the Hard Dynasty, of course, the Nexus ended up winning. Um, they didn't give the match enough time, and, of course, the dissension was being teased between uh, Kid and Smith. I just, you know, here's the thing. I understand that, they want to have Nexus being a driving force, and that's fine. But my issue with the whole thing is the following. You really don't have guys that gel together in terms of tag teams. Justin Gabriel and Heath Slater, you know, it's like 
not for nothing, I can see, um, what's his name? Skip Shetfield and David Otunga as a tag team. More so than I see Gabriel and Slater. Honestly, of course, Skip Shetfield is injured, but why don't you take a guy like, I don't know, Husky Harris and put him with a guy like Justin Gabriel? You know, Husky Harris has a, has a unique offense. He actually tends to do some high-flying stuff. You know, you, you can take guys like, um, you know, Kurt Henning Jr. Uh, I'm not going to call him Michael McGillicuddy. You can put him in an IC title picture. You can put Justin Gabriel in an IC title picture. David Atonga definitely needs to be in a tag team. I'm sorry. He's just, I don't know, man. He, he's just a really big dude with a, ver- with a very lame fucking voice. It's like, hey, man, this is David Atonga, blah, blah, blah. It's just total bullshit. I think that he should be one of those guys that he's going to need a little bit more seasoning. He, he has the look, you know, he has the, the jacked up look. And, um, he works, but it's just, I don't know, he doesn't have the tools to, to make it, to put it together. I don't know, I think he's missing something. I mean, Skip Sheffield, he, you know, he came up through um, tough enough, and he's been in the minor leagues for a while, and he seemed to be coming together. His whole corn-fed, meathead shit wasn't working, but definitely, it was, you know, definitely something that I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more of. He has that you know, Scott Steinerish psychopath vibe that if written correctly can go really, really far. David Otunga is just, you know, oh, my wife is famous. I used to get stars cut in my hair. I'm piss-colored. His complexion fucking bothers me. He really is piss-colored. I, I, I know it, it's terrible to say, but he's really fucking yellow. I, I, I don't know. He's like really piss-colored or Simpson-colored. I don't understand either. Either It's just because the television or high def makes him look yellowish. But I'm like, fuck, man, you really can't be this color. Um, one thing I do, you know, I do have to admit, though, is that in terms of mic skill, other than his voice being shitty, Otunga definitely has the stronger secondary mic skills, which is, you know, Barrett definitely mic skills on point. Finishing move, utter shit. Justin Gabriel, Mike Work in the toilet. Finishing move, awesome. Heath Slater hasn't done anything to make me give a fuck about him other than being the Wendy's girl, you know, which John Cena called him a couple of weeks ago, and now every time I look at him, I see the Wendy's logo. It's, it's weird. It, some guys, they, they jump out and you look at them and you're like, this guy's going to be a star. The Nexus guys, it's, it's weird. It's, it's so hit and miss. And the true test is going to come when they break them up because when they break them up, we're going to see which guys are going to really shine and which guys are going to get the boot. And honestly, I can tell you right now, guys that are going to definitely be making an impact, Barrett, Gabriel, McGillicuddy, Husky Harris, and um, Skip Shedfield. Heath Slater, not so much. I, I just don't see it. And Otunga, it, it, he needs to fucking get his wrestling together and do something. It, honestly, and, and you guys are probably going to give me some shit, I would put him in a tag team with MVP. It's terrible, but I would put him in a tag team with MVP just because, you know, ball and lifestyle, they got that swag about them, they like to dress nice, they could get a little street if necessary. But... um. 
Hold on one second. Let me just uh, go off track. I see that Verk is actually in the chat. Um, Verk, if you go to the My Take Radio uh, show page, which is blogtalkradio.com, My Take Radio, and you have Skype, you can actually just use click to talk. And when you do that, press 1 on your dial pad, and you'll be able to come on the show. So with that said, I hope Verk heard that in the chat, and he can come on board, and we can bang out some of this wrestling stuff. But honestly, I would I would put a Tonga with um, MVP. I think I think it works for some reason. It's it's scary, but I think MVP's established. He's got a nice enough move set. He's got a good gimmick, and a guy like a Tonga can learn from him. Honestly, he should MVP should have been his fucking pro. It would work. I know that Imperia Mist, who was here last week, um, doesn't like MVP. She finds him annoying. MVP, the problem with is that he's so pigeonholed in his, in his I'm a baller, you know, I got swag gimmick that they really don't want to do anything else with him. And if you want to know something crazy, he actually had suggested, and this is what I've heard, it's rumored, he had actually wanted to cut off his braids and make himself look different. And WWE management said no because of license, likeness issues and licensing issues. They need him to keep the look that he has now. I don't know. You know, I don't know how legit that is, but I think him and Atunga would work. Um, Imperium Mist says that it, they both suck in the ring, so it does work. Okay, I'm going to go with her argument. All right, let's say they do suck. But together, all they have to do is, you know, they could, they could call them the balling duo or the ballers or something crazy. <sighs> Hold on one second. I've got to just uh, answer this PM. There we go. I hate multitasking and typing and trying to talk at the same time always fucks me up. But, yeah, definitely um, MVP and fucking Mr. Piss Color definitely should be a tag team. Anyway, let me let me go through the rest of this Raw recap and see if Vert gets his stuff figured out so he can come on the show. Anyway, Gabriel Slater, like I said, Nexus ended up winning that match. Sheamus, of course, they're doing the little feud with him and Santino, which... I don't know if I if I like the feud or not. I mean, Santino's always fun to watch on TV. It bothers me because his OVW gimmick, he was like a legit badass, and then watching him be a complete head case on Raw is just so weird. But, you know, uh, it was only a matter of time before, you know, Sheamus locked up with Kozlov just because Kozlov is Santino's tag team partner. Of course, Kozlov got squashed by Sheamus. Real quick with the big boot, of course, Santino gets in. A little, little bit of an exchange with Sheamus. John Morrison gets involved, so obviously they're teasing a feud with Sheamus and John Morrison as well. A couple of things with that. John Morrison seems to be in such fucking flux right now. I don't know what they're doing with him. Are you pushing him? Are you not pushing him? Is he, in the, in the, is he part of a tag team? Are you putting him in the IC picture what what are you doing with the guy the guy has the, the guy has an incredible move set girls fucking love him he gives the glasses to the little kids which kids of course automatically makes you a fan with the kids what's going on with that dude it's like it, it seems like they're really at odds with what the fuck to do with him which is it's unfortunate i'm like you know the guy has a great skill set his mic work is pretty good 
he, he should definitely be in the IC title picture for sure, at, at least on the regular. Trying to put him in all these different tag teams with all these different dudes, it, I, just, I just think it fucking blows, man. They got to put him solo and let him shine on his own. This is the problem. WWE expects stars to fucking happen overnight. They want, they want instant results. They want them done right away. And it's like John Morrison's a guy that you built him up from Johnny Nitro all the way through to, you know, his, his shaman of sexy gimmick. The guy gets a great pop when he comes out. Fans love him. He has a great move set, highly athletic, and he's playing second banana to Santino? What the fuck is that? How does that happen? It's like Morrison should be feuding with Sheamus, at least. At least. Santino, if you're going to have him start feuding with some of the major players, then he definitely needs to, be start, needs to start being some sort of a hard rock and not this fucking comedy act, which is great, but if you really want to put him in there with the big boys, you've got to move him up. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm just so bummed out with what happens with Morrison just because the kid has loads of potential. Loads. Of course, there was a little bit of a backstage segment with R-Truth and Orton, and then, of course, Mark Henry was there with Pee Wee Herman, and we got a nice surprise appearance from Lita. Everybody, of course, went fucking ape shit. Don't go thinking she's coming back, because she's not. At least as of right now, it's supposed to be a one-shot deal. Whether she comes back or not, I highly doubt it. And you know what? And I said this before. You're going to bring Lita back to wrestle among a women's roster that has about as much wrestling talent as my fucking Swiffer Sweeper? Are you kidding me? Half of those chicks shouldn't be in there. It's terrible for me to say... Don't, you know, it's not me being sexist or anything, but some of the girls just aren't ready. They're not. Out of all the divas you see on television, you can probably count on one hand how many can have legit matches. Period. You can count on one hand how many can have legit matches just because they're not, they just don't have the time to get ready. I think they want to put them on TV so quick. They want a pair of silicone breast implants on TV so bad that they don't give them a time to get seasoned and, and learn some of the fundamentals. It's like some of these chicks, you know, they can't do a cross body block. They can't fucking take a bump right. Some of them, it's like you can't do a hip toss correctly. It's, it's absurd. It's really absurd. It's like Molina definitely has stepped her game up. She's pretty decent. Maurice plays a good bad guy, you know, a good heel, I should say. Her, her wrestling sometimes is a little suspect. Beth Phoenix always consistent. She's a powerhouse. The problem with Beth Phoenix is that she's so overpowering that any chick that beats her that's not either super athletic or a cruiserweight or something just looks stupid. It looks stupid. Like, imagine Layla beating Beth Phoenix in a match, which has happened. You, you look at Layla. Layla's too small. She's, she's too cute to, to really whoop Beth Phoenix's ass. It's absurd. Anybody that entertains that notion is out of their fucking minds. If, if anything, Beth Phoenix should get the belt, and she should be the one, the, the flag bearer for that title. And then, you know, the other people should chase for a little bit. It, it, it puts in some interesting matches, and you know what? You ought to use some sort of a ranking system. You know, you can't just say, oh, this week Maurice is fighting for the belt, even though she's lost to, like, Gail Kim, Molina, and Alicia Fox in the last three weeks. 
It doesn't make any sense. There has to be some sort of a of a hierarchy. You could they got to come up with something better. They really do. It, it's it's Beth Phoenix and everybody else. I mean, Natalia is awesome, but again, she's going to overpower and out wrestle the majority of that roster. Period. Gone are the heydays of Lita and Trish Stratus and and Molly Holly and Ivory and Victoria, you know, that would actually put on good, decent matches. Now it's, you know, Kelly Kelly, the fucking Bella Twins, which I think only if you combine them into, like, a megazord of wrestling diva would you get any sort of fucking four-star match out of them. I'm sorry, the whole switching gimmick, it doesn't work. It doesn't. What, you you walk out with, with the occasional guest host? That's why you have a job? I'm sorry, it's total bullshit. If if they're if you guys want to keep them, invest the opportunity in making them better wrestlers. Don't just toss them out there to the fucking wolves because the fans, especially the smarter fans, are going to be like, ugh, these chicks are going to come out and fucking wrestle. I'm going to go take a shit. It's terrible. TNA is falling into the same trap, and they're slowly digging their way out. TNA is, you know, TNA has good wrestling, good female wrestling. But lately it's just like hair pulling and cat fights and, you know, it's fun to watch that once in a while, but, you know, you get, you want these chicks to be taken seriously. I think you, you should have better matches. Um, <laughs> reading in the chat, I see that, that Mist is on fire. She wants to know why people think that Natalia is so, why Natalia is so good. I'll tell you what. Me, me personally, my view on it is that I think Natalia is good only because she shows a little bit more technical diversity in the ring than some of the other girls. She does the sharpshooter. I mean, you don't see too many chicks do submission moves other than Beth Phoenix and Natalia. I, you know, fucking Michelle McCool with her stolen fucking AJ Styles finisher, that shit isn't working. When she was trying to do submissions... What, because The Undertaker was doing them? No. No. That's all I have to say. I think that the fact is that girls, the only standout girls right now in the Divas division are Natalia and Beth Phoenix in terms of actual wrestling. Gail Kim is up there. I don't know what happened. I think she's like one of the players when they come to the Yankees that's usually really good on every other team and they come to the Yankees and play like shit. Gail Kim, I think, has had that same bad luck rub off on her. Gail Kim was great in TNA. Her matches with Awesome Kong were kick-ass. Then she comes in, and it's like backstage segments, walking out with the fucking hosts, multiple, you know, multi-diva tag matches. What happened to the Gail Kim that everybody was fucking, was on her fucking nuts about? What, what the fuck happened there? Ugh. It's real unfortunate. I see that Virk is still having some connection issues. I'm gonna, I'm hoping he can get them settled in, so you know, taken care of, so he can come on. Definitely, um, like I said, just use the click to talk on the um, my take radio page, and then once you have that, Slick should be able to bring you on. If you are having connection issues, it may be a block talk issue. So give it some time and see if it works itself out. Moving on through the rest of Raw, which I've realized I'm dedicating more time than I should. Of course, the next match, squash, Zack Ryder, of course, who was wrestling at home against Ezekiel Jackson. Not a good night for uh, Mr. Ryder. Ezekiel Jackson put the 
put the fucking beating on him with the Book of Ezekiel finishing move. And, um, of course, Pee Wee Herman comes out, does his little shtick with the Miz, which was actually pretty funny. I actually laughed at least once. There was a little bit of a chuckle. I'm tired of the fucking GM and the fucking AOL beep and Michael Cole and blah, blah, blah. I'm just so tired of, ladies and gentlemen, I have received an email from the general manager. I want to jump through the screen and kick Michael Cole in the nuts. It's like, blink. Oh, everybody hears the noise. Obviously, it's an email. Walk up to the fucking computer, you dick, and read it. Just walk up there. Don't go, I have received... No one gives a shit. I know that the people boo, and that's why you do it. But it, it just it fucking sucks, man. He comes up, I have received an email from the general manager, and I quote, obviously it's from the fucking general manager. So if you read it and you say, the general manager says this, and keep it moving. He takes a fucking five-second email and turns it into a ten-minute segment. I don't know if that's on purpose or if that's what he's being told back, you know, in his headset, but it fucking sucks, man. Ah, every fucking goddamn week. Ladies and gentlemen, I have received it. It's like, fuck you, and fuck your laptop. Can we finally find out who the anonymous GM is? Can we at least find out by WrestleMania? I'd love to know. The next match was supposed to be The Miz and Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio is dealing with an issue where he can't take any bumps because of some hearing issues he's having. So, of course, The Big Show came over from SmackDown, and, of course, had a bit uh, had a nice decent match with the Miz and Alex Riley and it ended up being of course the big show winning via DQ the Miz hit the big show with the money in the bank briefcase which of course was obvious that was it was going to happen um a nice little non-title match with next was next with Ted DiBiase and Maurice of course uh, uh Ted DiBiase and Maurice against Daniel Bryan Daniel Bryan ends up winning with the label lock they start working on a, on splitting, I guess, Maurice and DiBiase. DiBiase, of course, is complaining because Goldust stole the million-dollar belt, which obviously no one gives a flying fuck about. Next up, title shot, Michelle McCool versus Natalia. Obviously, Natalia was going to win. They really are prepping Natalia to have the belt. Take it off, fucking lay cool. I'm tired of them and their real talk and their fucking lame, beautiful people shtick. Fuck them. Don't give a damn. Uh, it's absurd. Hey, really? Look, I understand Michelle McCool. They're trying to push her as a as a big heel in the Divas division. But her whole, you know, real talk and talking in unison and all that cute shit. You know what it makes me want to do? It just makes me want to throw a brick through my television. I don't know if it's because the combined forces of their voice just cut through me like nails on a chalkboard. But I usually just, since I usually DVR the shit, unless I'm watching it live, and if I am, I'll pause it, go to the bathroom, come back, and fast forward through their segment, because I can't stand to hear their voices together in unison. Lay cool, fucking suck. They do. And then, of course, they lose, and Natalia gets the, the, the title shot, and they're crying. Then the backstage segment with Vince, and, of course, they talked about Linda running, and Stephanie McMahon appeared, and Freddie Prince Jr. was playing the fucking doctor, and Vince is in a coma from the Nexus beatdown. I just felt everybody's like, oh, it was so funny. Ha, ha, ha. No, it fucking wasn't. It looked contrived. It looked forced. And it just looked like another way to shill Linda McMahon running for Senate. 
That's what it looked like. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this little shit with Vince, and he's in a coma. Nobody gives a fuck about you, Vince. Look, you don't. And don't come back playing the whole evil owner shit, because it's just not going to work. You know what will probably end up happening? Since Linda McMahon lost her run for Senate, she'll probably end up being the fucking mystery general manager. Because that's what will happen. Linda McMahon loses. All right, fuck it. She's the mystery GM. And that's what they'll go with, since Vince is in a coma. Because it's the most obvious thing, and it, it could happen. It could, it could just be them going, hey, Linda's the GM, and that'll be it. I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not really excited about that. And, of course, tag match, Orton, R-Truth versus Wade Barrett and David Atunga. John Cena is the special guest referee. Blah, 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 blah. You know, Orton and Truth were winning. Of course, the dissension was teased with John Cena. Odds are Barrett is going to win the belt at Survivor Series, at which point Cena will be free from the Nexus. He will challenge Barrett. He will win the belt. Barrett will, of course, then go into a program with Sheamus. Cena will go on to feud with Orton, leading up to WrestleMania. Period. That's how it's going to go down. And actually, I got to bring to my bring to everybody's attention a great, great analogy that I had read earlier when I was reading the Raw recap from the guys over at 411. They called David Otunga Starscream from the Transformers, and you know what? It fucking fits. He has the whiny voice. He's always trying to fucking take out Wade Barrett or become leader of Nexus. It works. David Otunga is officially Starscream from Transformers. He's piss-colored Starscream. He's going to transform into a yellow jet. TNA Impact. You know, I usually don't bring up TNA Impact just because usually it's on, and I, um, I don't get a chance to watch it because I'm doing show prep. I had to watch it this week just because they... It's like it's W fucking it's WC fucking W all over again. It is. It is. First off, the whole immortal shit with Mr. Anderson and Bischoff coming out fighting you know, he's gonna fight Mr. Anderson and he has a little fucking karate gi on. Let me tell you three things that are guaranteed for failure. Eric Bischoff in a karate gi. Failure. Hulk Hogan flashing his balls in a Def Jam rap star commercial. Failure. Hulk Hogan anywhere on my television. Failure. But Kung Fu Bischoff, worst thing ever. You know what he reminds me of? One of the bad guys in Karate Kid. He looks like he should have a fucking Cobra Kai gi, and he should be right next to, next to John Kreese during fucking Karate Kid. Kung Fu Bischoff is a fucking shit dick, and he stinks. He has a great mind. But stay the fuck off my television, please. Please stay off. Please. Nobody cares about your white hair and I'm part of Immortal and Hulk Hogan and Dixie Carter. All of you motherfuckers. Dixie Carter, Hogan, Bischoff, get the fuck off my television. Get off. Because you know what you're doing? You're eating up TV time and you're not letting the more talented guys, guys like the Pope, guys like Mr. Anderson, Kurt Angle, AJ Styles, Matt Morgan, Doug Williams, Generation Me, The Amazing Red, all of those guys. You know what happens when you motherfuckers are on television shilling your stupid-ass backstage skits and storylines? You're taking time away from what made TNA a standout. You know what that was? Wrestling. That's what it was, wrestling. It wasn't the backstage skits. When I paid $10 a week ordering TNA weekly pay-per-views, 
I didn't order them because of the great color commentary or because of the cool jackets that Jeremy Borash wears. I ordered it because it had great wrestling. Guys like Christopher Daniels going out there with Jerry Lynn and AJ Styles. Fucking Jarrett. Fucking, oh, my God, um, who the hell? Triple X, when it was Elix Skipper, Daniels, Loki, going out there having fucking four-star matches against guys that you didn't even hear of, a.k.a. America's Most Wanted. That's what people paid 10 bucks a week for. You get a TV deal, and all of a sudden, it's Hogan with crutches. The guy's become, he's like wrestling RoboCop. He's like, he's like the $6 million man. It's like spinal attachment, check. Replacement hip, check. Plastic knee, check. Barbie doll hairdo, check. Stay the fuck off my television, man. Ugh. It's absurd. It really is sad to see that this is what it's come down to. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm bothered by that. I'm bothered by, I'm bothered by the fact that Hogan, he came out on a pay-per-view. This was for Jeff Hardy's heel turn. The guy hobbles out, hobbles. He has like a spinal stimulator in his back. The guy should be resting. He should be resting or rubbing suntan lotion on Brooke Hogan's ass. But he shouldn't be hobbling out with his old man fucking crutches for, for a heel turn. It, it makes no sense. None. On the contrary, you, should have, you, you know what a heel turn should have been? Abyss coming out, getting involved in the match. He was about to attack Jeff Hardy. They turn around and beat up Kurt Angle and Mr. Anderson. You know what that does? It helps Abyss because it makes Abyss look like a minion to Hardy, which they're already doing. No Bischoff, no Hogan, no stupid crutches. Period. You want to do the whole Bischoff bought the company from Dixie Carter? Great. You can do that. But keep it to a fucking minimum. Keep it to a minimum. And then, you know, of course, the Matt Morgan face turn, which... I I knew I had a feeling it was coming, and I'm sure they're going to do something with with Doug Williams too because they just seem very awkward in Fortune. I mean, Matt Morgan is a great enforcer, and it's obvious why he should be, but um, nonetheless, it's going to be one of those things where we we're going to have to take a wait and see approach with Matt Morgan's face turn. And um, I noticed in the chat that. Unfortunately, Virk will not be able to join us. He's having some connection in issues, but um, we're going to have to definitely delay that for a week. And with that said, it's unfortunate, but we'll catch Virk next week for sure. Sorry about that, but hopefully he'll stick around in the chat and talk with the rest of the MTR fans about wrestling and uh, video games for sure. In some knockout action, Sarita, Velvet Sky, Sarita did a, a fairly good match. You know what the thing is? Every, they, people talk about Velvet Sky and her wrestling, decent. But with the right person, with the right opponent, it, it, you can hide the averageness of her wrestling because they feel that her hotness supersedes her talent. And that's great. But you know what it is? Sometimes, sometimes some chicks, you just, you just can't do that because they get exposed. Sarita, of course, great wrestler, high flyer, has a great offense. Lately, she's kind of been a little stagnant, but I think they're trying to form a, a stable with her, Tara, and Madison Rain. So I, I can see that working to feud with the beautiful people and Mickey James, but 
Sarita against Velvet Sky, it's just a huge exposure of how average Velvet Sky's wrestling is. Sure, she's easy on the eyes, and everybody loves when the beautiful people do their entrance, and that's great, and that's fine and all, but when, when it comes down to the wrestling, though, it just, it just doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. But you know what? Considering the bullshit matches that we've been seeing on NXT and the Diva matches, I can, I can, I can tolerate Sarita and Velvet Sky in a match. Um, they did a six-person tag match with Generation Me and Tara versus Ink Ink and Mickey James, of course, building on the fuse between both the tag teams and the knockouts. Ink Ink and Mickey James ended up winning. Um, Mickey James uh, went to do the her finishing move, the Mick Kick, but uh, of course Shannon Moore ended up hitting the Morgasm for the three count on that. Great, I wouldn't say it was the best match, but definitely a decent effort amongst them. They definitely show that there's chemistry there. And watching Generation Me wrestle, it's like so so much shades of the Hardy Boys that it just amuses me to watch them, especially because uh, the darker-haired one, he looks more less Matt Hardy and more really, really, really tween John Morrison. And it amuses me so much to watch him wrestle. And then Ink Ink has a really great gimmick. I think that Jesse Neal working with Shannon Moore has helped improve him as a wrestler. And as a tag team, they're really good. I don't think they're ready for tag team titles, but they're definitely should, they definitely should be guys that should be in the upper rankings to be challenging for those belts in the near future. Of course, we had a little backstage skit with Orlando Jordan and Eric Young. I don't give a shit about it because I don't give a shit about Orlando Jordan and I can give two shits about Eric Young. Wow, what a fucking verbal miscue that was. Eric Young, sorry. Jeff Jarrett comes out, cuts his fucking promo, talks shit about Kurt Angle. Of course, this is just a setup for Angle and Jarrett, but unfortunately, Jarrett didn't get a chance to leave the ring because Samoa Joe came out and proceeded to try and whoop Jeff Jarrett's ass. Of course, the TNA security ran in and took the bullet, so to speak, for Jarrett. Samoa Joe ended up fucking beating their ass. Uh, look, Jeff Jarrett being in, in this whole immortal thing, same thing, evil owner. Jeff Jarrett doesn't need a stable to be a heel. He doesn't. He has a built-in storyline. He's the TNA founder. His, his sense of entitlement is enough for him to be a heel. He doesn't need the whole... Hogan, Bischoff, Fortune, lackey shit just doesn't work. I actually think that those are those are one of those things where there can be more improvement on the on the wrestling with just doing less. You got to use a less is more, especially with a guy like Jared. Jared has ample history in TNA that you don't need to make him part of a group. All he has to do is do a guitar shot on somebody who the crowd loves, and it's bang, instant heel turn. You don't need to do this whole contrived Fortune Immortal Jeff Jarrett Hardy storyline shit. It, it, there's no necessity. Sometimes less is more. It really is. Another match, of course, it's funny because I've talked about all this stuff, and the, it's only the third match of the broadcast with Rhino, Rob Van Dam, and, of course, AJ Styles. Of course, they're teasing the whole uh, EV2, Rob Van Dam breakup. AJ Styles, of course kept the belt, the dissension was teased, RVD and Rhino, of course, have a little bit of an issue, They uh, EV2 comes out, they separate them, 
RVD hits Raven, Tommy Dreamer gets the mic, and needless to say, they start setting up some stuff. Tommy Dreamer says that he'll face RVD at turning point. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know who's who's going to be the heel in this. Are you going with the EV2 heel turn, or are you going with the, with the RVD heel turn? Because I think that after all the bullshit with Fortune and EV2 that you align EV2 with Fortune... It, it's totally fucking stupid. They shouldn't do that. Odds are that when they do their EV2 versus Fortune match where the loser has to, where the winner has to pick somebody from the losing team to get fired, everybody's saying it's going to be Sabu. I don't know why Sabu is good. If anything, you can probably get one or two matches out of Sabu with Rob Van Dam. Those guys got great built-in chemistry, and you can make Sabu just a crazy maniac who was, who was jealous of RVD's success. You can make Raven the mouthpiece, and you can run with it. Hell, you can even bring in Bill Alfonso for a little bit, have him with Sabu, feud with Rob Van Dam until this whole TNA title situation gets straightened out, and you can put the belt back on RVD. Hell, put the TV title on Rob Van Dam, much like he had it in ECW, let him run with that belt, and then have a couple of other different dudes challenge. You get some great TV matches. You get some great feuds out of it because a Sabu and RVD feud, gold. An RVD and AJ Styles feud, an AJ Styles feud, gold. RVD and Kazarian, great. Hell, RVD and I think Doug Williams would really have some really intriguing matches. But again, shitty booking. If, like I said, if they turn EV2 and align them with Immortal or with Fortune, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take my computer monitor, put it on TNA Wrestling, throw up on my monitor, take a picture of it, and put it on the Facebook fan page, just so I can show my disgust at the fact that that's even being entertained. Fourth match, Douglas Williams, Kazarian. They did a, a very, very nice match. I don't think they were given enough time. Again, great chemistry. Douglas Williams is awesome. He's an awesome dude. His fucking finishing move is fantastic. really is. I love the finishing move. It's great. Douglas Williams is a great chain wrestler, great mat wrestler, but he meshed well with Kazarian for some reason. I don't know why, but I just, I looked at the match and I said, fuck, I could probably watch another five minutes of these two guys wrestle because it was, it was, it was good. It was a nice mesh of styles. And I think that, you know, kryptonite, you know, the, the kryptonite is for Douglas Williams is the high flyers. And it works well because he always tries to use his map-based techniques against the high flyers. And it's usually with good success, and it shows a lot of psychology on his part because you've got to break down uh, certain body parts, especially for a guy like Kazarian. If you're doing a technical match, you've got to definitely wear down the legs to eliminate his high-flying offense. And, you know, that's great psychology for matches. Sometimes TNA forgets about it, but, you know, they forget all about it, I should say. But Douglas Williams, Kazarian, potential. If they are going to break them up, I definitely see Douglas Williams going solo and feuding with Fortune, and it would be a great match. It would be. I think him against Kazarian, great match. Him and AJ, great match. I honestly think if you put Douglas Williams back with Desmond Wolf when he comes back and his buddy Brutus Magnus, and they feud with Fortune, you got a guy that can challenge for the TV title or the X Division title, and you got two guys that you can interchange either um, Wolf and Williams in tag team action or Wolf and Magnus 
I mean, or um, Williams and Magnus for the tag belts. You can take advantage of that nice English core stable that was really good at the time, not world elite, but when they were just doing the, you know, the, the English faction, you can bring that back, and, and that's actually more legit, and you can see that working. And you can use a great storyline in the fact that all the guys were misused by TNA, and they felt that collectively as a unit they can be more successful. Real easy, real bare bones, real to the point. That's the way I see it. I like, I, I like Desmond Wolf. I know that there's some shit going on with him. And Brutus Magnus has come a long way, man. I think that when him and Wolf were with Chelsea – you can really do like, a, and, and a lot of people may not like this, but you can really do like an English four horsemen with those guys. You get, a guy, you get those guys, and not for nothing, if you actually had, even though he's not English, but if you had Claudio Castagnoli from Ring of Honor in there, imagine Castagnoli, Williams, um, Wolf, and Brutus Magnus as a fucking stable. Oh, it would be disgusting. You'd have, you know, a lot of, English bullshit talking, you'd have some really great tag team wrestling, you'd have bona fide challengers for the X Division uh, title, the TV title, hell, even the world title if you wanted to get real crazy with it. But again, this is just me doing armchair booking, so let me just fucking run through the rest of this. The fifth match, of course, Abyss versus the Pope. Really piss poor feud. It seems so mismatched, Abyss feuding with the Pope. Uh, the Pope ended up winning via DQ. Um, whole shit with, you know, fan got involved. Then the Pope challenged the Biz to a lumberjack at Turning Point, and the lumberjacks are going to be members of the Pope's congregation. This has happened before where Jeff Jarrett was in a feud and the fans were the lumberjacks, and it was a strap match, I remember, because I remember the fans were whooping Jeff Jarrett with belts. Once again, digging into shit that's already been done. <sighs> And, of course, to close it out, fucking Eric Bischoff challenging Mr. Anderson. Totally fucking stupid. Anderson's music hits. Matt Morgan comes out, puts an ass whooping on, Jeff, on, on Eric Bischoff, signs a contract to fight Jeff Hardy at Turning Point. And, of course, they do the really smooth sell of extending it into reaction. Ric Flair comes down, go fucking, goes fucking crazy, says that Morgan will pay the price at Turning Point. TNA, man, in, in that length of time, you only gave me five matches. They were decent at best. And, again, just more bullshit. Fucking TNA, man. You guys have the potential to be great. Great. But you, you guys fall back into the, the proverbial old hat. It's, it's really unfortunate. Let's go into some other wrestling news. Of course, Linda McMahon, like I said, lost her bid for state senate, boo-hoo. But something interesting did come out of that. On November 1st, the WWE was actually threatened by the Department of Justice. And I'll tell you why, based on the press release that WWE put out. Here it is. Not so coincidentally, after President Obama's visit to Connecticut this past weekend and on the eve of midterm elections, WWE is being threatened by the U.S. Department of Justice of the Obama administration with potential criminal activity for distributing WWE t-shirts near select polling stations for tomorrow's election day. This is clearly heavy-handed bullying from big government and would appear to be a desperate political activity in close contested elections in Connecticut, said Vince McMahon. This is consistent with some Attorney General's tactics that threaten litigation for political gain. 
Under this ambiguous threat of legal action by the U.S. Department of Justice, WWE has reluctantly decided not to give away WWE merchandise near select polling stations tomorrow. The controversy, of course, began when Connecticut Secretary of State Susan, I can't even pronounce this chick's name, uh, she put out a directive stating that if poll workers feel like wearing WWE paraphernalia is in any way interfering with the voting process, they can ask the individual to cover it up or come back with something else on. The directive was ultimately overturned by a federal judge last week. Subsequently, to celebrate the victory of restoring voters' rights, WWE had planned to give away WWE merchandise at select polls to anyone regardless of political affiliation or whether they intended to vote. Here's how I see it. WWE is, is very smart in what they're doing. Yeah, they're going to give out the stuff and they're going to give out free merchandise, but on the same instance, they're getting people to vote. So anybody in Connecticut that wasn't sure about voting and is a WWE fan and they don't really understand the political process, it's going to be a no-brainer for them to vote for Linda because they think that by putting Linda in Senate, they'll get Vince in there too because that's what happens. Some wrestling fans, they go, they go really fucking crazy with shit like that. It's like, oh, that'll be fucking awesome. Vince will be there in the Senate and he'll be telling Obama, you shut up. And it's like, no, no, not going to happen. Not going to happen, wrestling fan. Linda McMahon is running a legit campaign to become a legit political figure. She was actually trying to distance herself to some extent from some of the WWE shit. On the contrary, her political opponents were using the WWE stuff to, you know, to give her shit during her campaign, from Trish Stratus crawling on all fours to nut shots, Vince McMahon getting beaten up in a hospital, Brian Pillman getting stone cold breaking into Brian Pillman's house with a gun, the Owen Hart situation, the Ben Watt situation, wrestlers dying, the Lance Cade situation, all of it, political fuel for people to, to contest Linda McMahon's bid for Senate. It, that's a no-brainer. WWE was smart. Oh, you know, in honor of us winning and, and being allowed to wear what we want, don't get me wrong, I think it's utterly fucking stupid that the government gives a fuck about what you wear to go to vote. Who gives a shit? If you walk in with a WWE t-shirt on, maybe you had dirty laundry that day. I got WWE shirts. You know what I wear them for? To go to the gym. If I wear them to go to the gym and I decide when I get out of the gym to go and vote and I lived in Connecticut, what are you going to tell me? I can't vote because I have a Chris Benoit rabid Wolverine shirt on with a pillow on the back. No, let me stop. Let me stop. No, but seriously. What, what does my, my article of clothing have to do with, with, my, with my vote? It, it doesn't mean shit. You can walk in there with the intention of voting for Linda and then think about it and be like, eh, I'll vote for this person, person B. That, that's really stupid of the government to, to throw out that shit. WWE, of course, thinking they can get over, you know, them handing out free swag at the polling places, nope, not a good idea. I know that WWE always does a really great voting campaign to educate people and get them to vote, and they do great stuff, you know, voter registration, they appear at, you know, Republican National Convention, Democratic National Convention, that's great. They do stuff like that, which is what, what people appreciate. But if you're in the home state where a WWE officer is running for a political seat and you're offering free swag, you're basically bribing the voters to vote for Linda McMahon. There's, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. 
So they tried to get over and got caught out there. That's it. Nonetheless, let's move on to the rest of this wrestling stuff. Uh, WWE.com has announced that Miss USA, I'm going to mess up her name, Rima Faki, will host Raw on November 29th. This is going to be a three-hour episode, and it's going to feature the return of the King of the Ring tournament. Last but not least, two other bits of wrestling. seems that Kevin Nash is putting out little nuggets of information to try and get Vince McMahon's attention. He put out one of the following statements. Vince, let me in the rumble. If I win, I get The Undertaker at WrestleMania. If I lose, I'll join your Kiss My Ass Club on the next episode of Raw. Deal? Vince will smell money. He'll snap out of his coma was the second follow-up to that. I honestly think Kevin Nash should be in the WWE Hall of Fame. And that should be it. Do not put him in the ring. Don't. Don't. Kevin Nash fighting The Undertaker at WrestleMania is just going to be a lumbering 20-minute snooze fest. It's not going to work. Kevin Nash is good for two things, and I, and I, and I like him. He's a, he's, he, was, he was a great wrestler in his time. He's a great color commentator. He is. He's also a great mouthpiece or a great enforcer. That's it. No wrestling. An enforcer, yes. A commentator, yes. Anything else, no. No wrestling, especially against The Undertaker. Because you know The Undertaker's going to win, and it's going to be all slow and fucking lethargic. And don't get me wrong, Kevin Nash got into great shape at the end of his TNA run. He looks athletic. He looks in great shape. He may go out there and do a good match with The Undertaker, but who really gives a shit about that? Is anyone going to honestly pay $55 to watch HD WrestleMania and watch The Undertaker versus Kevin Nash? I just don't see it, man. I don't see it happening. Kevin Nash, especially because you're doing WrestleMania in Atlanta, Hall of Fame, him and Goldberg. If you're going to do something like that, and on top of that, Kevin Nash should fucking induct Goldberg because he ended Goldberg's streak with the cattle prod in WCW. Why not? Do that. End it with Nash, Hall of Fame induction, and Hill and Duck Goldberg, too. Nice, quick, and to the point. <sighs> Last bit of wrestling news to close it out. It seems that they're going to be doing an old-school Raw November 15th for the Raw event in Hershey, PA. Some of the veterans you're going to see are Sergeant Slaughter, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Roddy Piper, The Iron Sheik, Dusty Rhodes, and Jimmy Superfly Snooker for the old-school Raw event on November 15th. Last but not least, that's pretty much it. I think I actually beat the fuck out of wrestling. I'm a little bummed that Vert couldn't get in, but I'm sure we'll reschedule for next week. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. I need a drink of water. We're going to talk some video games. And I definitely want to talk about this Senate shit about violent video games and uh, Supreme Court, excuse me, Supreme Court stuff. It's, it's going to be a, a lengthy, lengthy diatribe from yours truly. I'll be back right after this. I wonder what's on tonight even. Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you save me? This is the deal of the century, people. I'm telling you. 
So Jason, uh, what, what I mean, what, what are we doing tonight? Tumbling with Tumbleweed, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. BlogTalkRadio.com, Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know, Jason? Jason, are you there? All right, and we're back. We're talking video games, of course. My Take Radio, episode 64. Call in number 347-324-3541. Again, 347-324-3541 is the call in number if you want to talk some wrestling, MMA, video games, and movies. Let me talk about the whole violent game situation and what's been going on. Of course, if you guys have been reading Kotaku, Twitter, Gizmodo, any of your other gaming blogs, you know that there was a the whole big um, exchange in the Supreme Court regarding violent video games and how the government wants to get involved in, in regulating violent video games. Let me explain something to you. I am 30 years old. I started playing video games when I was roughly, I'd say, four to five years old. One of my first systems was an Atari 2600. I remember playing Berserk. For those of you that aren't familiar, Berserk puts you, a little stick-figured man, in a room where you are getting shot at by robots, and you shoot at them. You cannot touch the edges of the room, or your man will get electrocuted. Gee, a little violent, don't you think? Let's move on. As I grew older, I played Nintendo, the original NES. Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt were the included game at the time. I played Duck Hunt. What is the premise? Shooting animals. Should PETA be offended? Sure, they should, but it's a fucking game. And duck hunting happens. That was one of my introductions to using guns. Duck Hunt. Did I go out and grab a gun? and proceed to shoot birds outside of my house? No. Let's move on. Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, games like Killer Instinct, Mortal Kombat, Eternal Champions, Streets of Rage, all games that involve violence, sometimes violence against women. Hell, in Streets of Rage, you were a female cop, and you get assaulted, they try to fucking stab you, all kinds of shit. Did I run out and try to stab any women? No. Let's talk Mortal Kombat, which, of course, everybody has to reference. Oh, Mortal Kombat with its excessive violence and people getting decapitated and their hearts getting ripped out. Let, let's be frank here. You have children. Parents have children. Your job as a parent is to educate them and raise them and protect them from various elements, whether it's crime, whether it's a, a roof over their head, whether it's programming they shouldn't watch, records they shouldn't listen to, none of that shit. All of that is stuff that you're supposed to do as a parent. I'm not a parent. I'm a guardian for my two sisters, and even though they're both handicapped, my, my younger sister loves MTV, loves hip-hop, Loves watching Nickelodeon, loves watching Miley Cyrus, Hannah Montana, Tyler Perry movies, all that tween shit. My job as her guardian is to tell her, you can't listen to this record. It has cursing. 
What is it my job to do as that parent? Buy a record with censored music. Period. Not even because she's young and developmentally disabled, but because that's my fucking job. Period. My other sister, she has autism. Her mind, that of a five-year-old. What does she enjoy? Disney Channel cartoons and the Disney Channel and music. Sometimes she likes to listen to a little reggaeton. What do I got to do as a parent figure? Chime in and say the following. Oh, can't listen to this Daddy Yankee song. They're talking about some stuff that's a little risque. And that's my job. What the fuck is wrong with some parents where the government has to stick their two fingers in in the collective assholes of America and tell you what you should and shouldn't be doing? Why should the government do that? It's stupid. We're in a recession. We got no fucking jobs. You got crazy motherfuckers that are religious fanatics running for fucking president and Congress. You got a guy talking about the rent being too damn high. You got all this shit going on. You got Al-Qaeda sending bombs through UPS. All serious shit. But the Supreme Court, the, 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 the top fucking judicial system in our country has nothing better to do than to talk about violence in fucking video games. And for Arnold Schwarzenegger to even remotely run his mouth about some shit like that is stupid. You cut off a guy's hand with a machete in Commando. You threw a circular saw blade to, to scalp somebody in Commando. You shot somebody with a rail gun in, in fucking Eraser. Same thing with True Lies. Go down the list. Terminator. There was violence. There was sex. There was nudity. And it was, it was, it was prevalent. Parents need to get on their fucking P's and Q's. They do. Nowadays, the Disney Channel needs to raise your kid. MTV needs to raise your kid. Facebook needs to raise your kid. And what does the parent do? Oh, they watch the Food Network, and they fucking play Farmville and beat their kids to death, which I'm going to talk about right after that, right after this little fucking thing. But no, our judicial system, our government, that's the kind of shit they want to talk about. Oh, video games are so violent, and blah, blah, blah. And, we, you know, you guys should really, you guys should do a better job of policing. No, we fucking shouldn't. We shouldn't. You know what we're doing? Our country is slowly losing its balls. That's what's happening. You say the wrong word, everybody gets offended. You, you make a joke, a joke. Everybody has something to say about it. You can't eat meat. It offends somebody. You, you can't say this. You can't say that. You can't call a, um, a midget a midget. You have to call them little people because they get offended because they feel that midget is the equivalent of the N-word. This is the kind of shit where, like I've said it in previous broadcasts, Al-Qaeda is not going to blow us up. They're just going to watch us revert into pussies, and they're going to walk in and take this country because that's what we do. Parents don't fucking do things. Kids don't want to get dirty and play outside. We're really fucked. We're fucked. And this is what our government worries about. Who cares if you decapitate somebody in Mortal Kombat? Who gives a shit? The parent's job is, hey, that game's a little too violent. 
maybe you shouldn't play it. Play something else. That's it. You know what I see? Stupid parents that let their kids con them into buying GTA, and then you see them running into GameStop a week later. Oh, my God, my, my son, he shot a hooker, or he picked up a hooker and, and had sex with her, and then ran her over and took her money. That's the best part of the fucking game, bitch. That's what I'd say. No. Everything else is to blame. TV shows are to blame because they're too violent. Music is to blame. Video games are to blame. No. Parents are to blame. Parents need to do a better job at raising their children and not worry about game developers, authors, TV programs, radio stations, pandering and catering to them to help them do their job. That's not the way it works. It's not. It's really not. It's, a, it's absurd. It, backyard wrestling. You shouldn't be doing it. Don't do the shit. You're watching it on television. Your parents... Let me tell you something. If I attempted to hit a friend with a steel chair when I was growing up, my mother would whoop my ass because she knew that the kid might get hurt. And that kid's parent would come to my mother complaining about why you aren't watching your kid. It's that simple. When the fuck did it become that media has to raise your children? Get your hands dirty. Slap your kid on the ass. Tell him, no, you can't play that game. So what if he throws a tantrum in GameStop? Drag him out by his fucking ass and tell him no. It's absurd. It really is disgusting that the political and judicial process is fucking clogged up with politicians complaining about video games. Video games. It's absurd. I'm, I'm disgusted at the concept. Disgusted. Which leads me to this fucking tidbit of information. A woman pled guilty to second-degree murder this week when she shook her baby to death because the baby interrupted her while she was playing Farmville. 22-year-old Alexandra Tavias told police she got angry because her three-month-old son Dylan was crying while she was playing Farmville on Facebook. She said that she shook the baby, then had a cigarette to compose herself before shaking him once more. She also said he may have hit his head during shaking. This cutbag, this human piece of shit, this, this fucking disgusting waste of space, should just be, you know what she should be? She should be fucking wrapped in fucking bacon and dropping the Serengeti in front of a lion's den. That's what that bitch should be done. That's what should be done to her. That's what you do. You, you're shaking your baby because of Farmville? What, because your kid was hungry? Are you afraid your fucking cabbages would wither? You fucking piece of shit. Let me tell you something. I'm a strong advocate in disciplining your children within reason. A slap on the hand, a spank on the ass, perfectly normal. I'm not telling you to bludgeon your kid with a cane or fucking throw a television at him or tie him to a radiator. Slap on the hand, an occasional spanking, maybe a yank by the ear, a little noogie, something normal. Shaking your three-month child to death because he interrupted your game of Farmville is absurd. And, and, and you know what will happen? They'll probably try and go with a temporary insanity plea because th that's how fucked up we are. There's going to be some lawyer 
that's going to go and be like, you know, she had a temporary moment of insanity. She was under a lot of pressure. The bitch was playing Farmville instead of taking care of her kid. And you're 22 years old. 22. And you're annoyed. You're annoyed that your kid is interrupting you on a virtual farm. You fucking asshole. I read this story and it just, it just, it just saddened me. It, because you know what will happen? And, and it's going to happen. Well, you know, these addictive video games like Farmville and World of Warcraft and Mafia Wars, you know, they're polluting the minds of our youth. And if they, if, you know, if they were monitored and maybe there was, you know, a shutdown period where the game would kind of say, okay, you're going to shut down for a little bit, and maybe the parents would do better jobs. This is the kind of shit that they would try to do. This, this, this is the kind of shit the government would come up with. There should be safeguards where if you've been playing Farmville for more than two hours, you should get a pop-up that says, all right, you're going to take a break for a little bit. We've, we see you've been on for over two hours. This is the kind of shit they'll do instead of just not allowing dumb motherfuckers like this to reproduce. Just don't let them reproduce. I like, I like what they said where, um, in the chat where they should – where she should just be sterilized. It's too late. The kid is dead. Like I said, wrap that bitch in bacon, pork shoulders, drop her in a parachute into the Serengeti, and let her try and shake a fucking lion because it's annoying her. Let that happen. Drop her in a shark tank with buckets of chum in her underwear. That's what you should do. Just, just, just put on a pair of fucking garbage bag MC Hammer pants with holes in them, and then pour chum in there and drop that bitch in the water. Because that's, that's what that person deserves. It's a three-month-old child. And, and, you know, it, it, don't, don't take my frustration and my passion about it. So, you know, don't, don't let it freak you guys out. I, you know, I, like I said, I'm raising two kids. And, and and it's frustrating, and especially in it, you know, especially if they're very young. I understand there's frustrations, but you know, that's your job as a parent. You spread your legs, you popped out a kid. Now's your job to raise them. I bet you should, the, the kid got no daddy. Bet you don't. Bet you bet you it doesn't, because you don't see anything mentioned about oh the child's father. No, nope, none of that. Just her and how she needed to smoke a cigarette to compose herself. Second-degree murder, which is what she's, what she's charged with, is punishable with a sentence of life in prison. But, of course, it could be less because state guidelines suggest 25 to 50 years, which is fine, too. And she'll be sentenced in December. Ugh. <sighs> All right. I think I'm going to de-stress, and let's talk about some more lighthearted stuff. Sony has announced that their 320-gig model PS3 will be sold as a standalone unit without, a, without the move. The new model will be coming out sometime this week. Actually, it should be in retailers today, and it's going to be $349, which is going to be $50 less than the move, move bundle and, and $50 more than the 160 standalone. The move is said to be in support of Sony's increased focus on digital distribution, ensuring that PS3 owners will have the space for game and movie downloads. In some Xbox 360 news, some data was released by good old Major Nelson. Currently, there are 42 million Xbox 360 consoles being sold in 35 countries. Out of those 35, out of those 42 million consoles, 25 million people 
are on Xbox Live for more than 30 hours per month, meaning that over a billion hours are spent on Live each month. He adds that 42% of gold members watch an average of an hour of TV and movies on their Xbox each day, which leads to a 157% increase in the last year. Major Nelson also noted that the live service is expanding to 35 more countries in November. Not to mention the new um, Xbox Live update. Of course, you're going to be able to watch ESPN3, so I definitely see these numbers going up. Uh, Sony actually is going to be countering that, and I will be discussing that later on in the broadcast. For those of you that are fans of the game Super Meat Boy and want to play it on the Wii, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer to play the game because Team Meat actually announced on Twitter that their game will be missing its November release date. With developers calling the launch for this month impossible. The reason for the delay is actually compression. The team wants to make sure that the game is around 39 megabytes, but they haven't been able to get it under 50. They said the starting point for the game was 700. So... With that said, if you are a Wii owner and you want to play Super Meat Boy, you're going to have to wait just a little longer. For those of you that are playing Crackdown 2 or have stopped playing it, you may want to blow the dust off of the game and throw it back in your Xbox because there will be a new downloadable content pack coming out November 16th. The pack is going to give you a new mode where it's going to allow four players to fight off waves of enemies. There's also going to be an additional online mode called Capture the Orb, similar to Capture the Flag, but of course the series normal orb is your target. The pack is also going to give you some weapon and vehicle upgrades, and it's going to run you 560 Microsoft points. But you can download a free version that can give you the full capture the orb mode and a single-player version of the deluge mode. That's what you can get with the free version. NBA 2K11, which of course is, has been getting nothing but great reviews, especially with the Michael Jordan play mode, is going to be getting 3D as well. 2K Sports has announced that the NBA 2K11 will be getting an update, a 3D update for the PlayStation 3 starting in January 2011. In addition to that, they will be teaming up with Best Buy to deliver a 3D sampling at retail stores starting November 16th. So if you're at Best Buy during the weekend of November 16th, wander over to one of the 3D TVs and play NBA 2K11 in 3D. All current owners of the game will be able to download and upgrade their game for free via the PlayStation Store when it becomes available. NBA Elite, which of course everybody was looking forward to, has been canceled. The company made an announcement during the uh, 2011 fiscal earning call. They actually announced that the development of the franchise would be moving to Tiburon Studios in Orlando, Florida. seems that 2K Sports scared off NBA Elite. Not surprised. I think that 2K Sports actually does a better job with their sports games. I mean, I love their NFL 2K games. I used to actually buy them more than I bought Madden. And the NBA 2K11 game is actually very nice. has some great polish. The Michael Jordan mode is fucking sick. And I think the 3D treatment will be really cool to see as well. Let's talk about Medal of Honor and the bullshit that EA talks. EA, of course... They got their EA Sports MMA game, which I'm actually going to find a way to get for super cheap because I want to play it and I want to give it a review, uh, not only for you guys, but to also share it with the MMA Valor readers as well, just because in playing the demo, I gave myself a little bit more time with the control scheme and I switched from the stupid um, Fight Night controls to the regular MMA controls that I'm familiar with from the UFC games. And I think that there's going to... It has some potential. There's a couple of potential things I want to test out, 
and I want to give it a fair review, but regardless of that, Medal of Honor, get this, and this is why sometimes I think EA are really pieces of shit. The recently released Medal of Honor didn't meet our quality expectations, according to EA Europe Vice President Patrick Soderlund. Soderlund said that reviews for the games were harsh, but that the series will have to become better to compete against Call of Duty. Medal of Honor is to some extent judged harsher than it should be. The game is better than today's reviews are indicating, Soderlund said. What I can say is the game didn't meet our quality expectations. In order to be successful in that space, we're going to have to have a game that is really, really strong. However, even though it didn't meet expectations, he is happy with the reboot. I'm proud of what the game is and proud of what the team did. I just think the market is obviously telling us that they think the game is X. We need to convince the market we can make something they appreciate more, particularly to be able to compete. We're looking at we're looking at that clearly. We're taking that seriously. I'm not at all saying Medal of Honor is a failure, really. It's a successful reboot of that franchise. We're going to be stronger in the future. You know, here's here's the funny thing. I really am just dumbfounded at reading that this guy just said the game didn't meet quality expectations, and yet you expected people to pay 60 bucks for it, and you don't even think it's good. You don't think the game is good and you want people to pay $60 and you actually put the shit out? Why not delay the fucking game? What, because you wanted to get it out before Black Ops came out? It doesn't mean shit. People are going to buy Black Ops anyway. Holy shit. The, when I read that, I was like, let me let me look at this again. You motherfuckers are joking. Oh, no, it didn't meet our quality expectations. Are you kidding me? That's like building a house, putting the framework, and after the framework is built and you put and you fucking put siding and everything on the house, but you forget to add doors, you go, yeah, I like the way the house looks, but it wasn't the best house I ever built. Motherfucker, it has no doors. It's the same shit with, with this game. If you honestly sat there after the game was complete when it went gold and you weren't happy with it from a quality standpoint, why sell it? Why make people excited for the title, charge them 60 bucks, and then turn around and insult the people that paid $60 by saying, you know what, we thought the game wasn't that great, but we didn't give a shit because we knew you guys were going to buy it. How does that fucking happen? How do you sit there and do that, especially as a developer like EA? It's like, dude, you guys, you guys are putting out games that people, people know about. When, you, when I saw the trailers for Medal of Honor, I said, oh, shit, man, even I might play this shit because it looked awesome. The concept looked cool, but, you know, the whole, the whole fucking Al-Qaeda thing and definitely didn't help. But the fact that you sat there and you're saying that you thought the game sucked or that it didn't meet our quality expectations, it, it's appalling. It's appalling that that would happen, that you'd sit there and go, yeah, the game was all right, but, yeah, you know, wasn't that great. Ugh. I'm horrified. I'm horrified at reading that. Ugh. I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know what the hell is up with EA. I don't know if it's their, 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 their executives. They're just getting really fucking stupid. 
I think it's just the fact that they just they they have so much money and so many licenses that they just they just don't give a shit. They're like, ah, we'll put out another Madden. Ah, we'll put out another NBA Live. You know, oh, we're gonna put out another NBA Jam. How how do you put out a game that you think is not good? <sighs> In some other news, those of you that are playing DJ Hero 2 will be able to pick up the new Hitmakers pack, which is going to include the following mixes: the Usher featuring Usher featuring Will I Am, the Oh My God remix by S by FSG, Rihanna featuring Jay Z Umbrella mixed with Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On, Big Boy and Cuddy Shutterbug mixed with Mark Morrison's Return of the Mac. The Hitmaker track pack is going to be available on Xbox Live for 640 points, on the PSN store for $799, and you can get them as single downloads on the Wii for 300 points each. Those of you that are looking forward to Assassin's Creed Brotherhood may want to pick it up on the PS3. Ubisoft confirmed earlier today that they will be getting exclusive content for the PlayStation 3. It's going to be called the uh what the hell the copernicus ugh, the copernicus conspiracy the content will give players access to new missions including courier assassination and protection missions courtesy of renaissance astronomer copernicus copernicus excuse me um seo will be asked to foil a conspiracy against copernicus and defend his philosophy so if you're going to pick up assassin's creed brotherhood brotherhood excuse me the ps3 may be the option for sure Dark Helmet, I like that. NFL Blitz. You know what? NFL Blitz used to be utter shit, but Blitz the League is actually really, really good. It, it had a really novel concept, and I actually enjoyed it. If you guys ever get a chance, pick it up, especially. I, I, I like the second one, but the first one is really good. Um, I still have it, and I actually wouldn't mind playing a couple of live matches. You could probably get it for like 8 bucks. but Blitz the League is a fucking fun game. It's uh, Shades of NFL Playmake of... Um, the Playmaker series they used to give on cable. You you know, doping up your football players, sleeping with cheerleaders, juicing up your players, popping somebody's gallbladder, breaking somebody's leg. Awesome stuff for sure. Speaking of Call of Duty Black Ops, which I had mentioned earlier, you're actually going to be able to pick up an exclusive pro gaming headset with it. The headset is going to come with a travel case and some, and some spare ear pads and cables. It's going to have 5.1 surround sound, and it's going to be made by Mad Cat's owned Triton. The headset is going to run you a hundred, uh, excuse me, 149.99. So you're going to pay 150 bucks for a pro gaming headset to play Call of Duty Black Ops. Uh, some some accessories just boggle my mind, like a 150 dollar headset. It's 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 just a headset, man. I definitely want to talk to some. Uh, some pro gamers to see what the big deal is with the headsets, because 140 bucks is is a bit much. Ugh. Check the here's something that some of you guys are definitely going to enjoy. Before Dragon Age 2 comes out in March, you're going to be able to play a Facebook game that's going to tide people over, titled Dragon Age Legends. The Facebook game will release in February. Players will control Ravi, who, with the help of Facebook friends, will try to help his son Elton. Players will do quests, earn loot, share rewards, and grow the kingdom. By doing this, players will be able to unlock something new for the full game. Here's some commentary. We're privileged to be working with BioWare to bring Dragon Age Universe to the hundreds of millions of gamers on Facebook, said Mark Spenner, general manager of EA2D. 
Our goal is to change the perception of social network games and attract new players to the Facebook platform by raising the quality bar. Dragon Age Legends will deliver a deep, sophisticated experience, and we will continue to, del- to delight gamers by adding new features and content far into the future. While the game isn't coming out anytime soon, you can actually sign up on the website for a beta test. You know, I actually have to admire this bit of marketing on EA's part, even though I shit on them for everything else, and I'll tell you why. Facebook is a huge platform. You've got millions and millions and millions and millions of people on there on a daily basis. Dragon Age is a good game. And the fact that you can take your content from Dragon Age on Facebook and have it carry over into the console is a cool concept. I think if they did stuff like that for certain other games, like building stats and maybe fantasy leagues, like if you did fantasy football drafts and those drafts can be carried over to to Madden or something like that, it would actually allow Facebook to be a lot more useful in terms of helping generate a buzz for a game. Dragon Age 2 is actually, I definitely feel it's going to be a tester, not just for EA, but just in general in terms of Facebook integration with other games. I think that it's definitely going to be a concept to keep an eye on for sure. The uh, Hulu Plus, which of course I talked about being exclusive for the PlayStation 3, will, for the PlayStation Plus, will no longer be exclusive. Next week, that is going to change. Sony Computer of America, of course, oops, Sony Computer Entertainment, excuse me, or SCEA, let me just say it like that, and Hulu will drop the barrier of PlayStation Plus membership next week making paying for Hulu Plus content no longer an invitation-only affair. All PlayStation Network members will get full access to Hulu Plus soon, geography permitting. Hulu Plus subscriptions are going to run you $9.99 a month. In addition to that, Hulu Plus will be debuting on new Sony Bravia HDTVs and Sony Bravia Interlink as w- Internet links as well. Not to mention you may be seeing it on other Sony devices, not just the PS3. Hulu Plus is going to be on the Xbox 360 at some point in 2011. In some other news, EA Sports has announced that the FIFA franchise broke the 100 million barrier in terms of lifetime sales, making it the top-selling sports game of any type worldwide. FIFA joins gaming staples like Mario and Pokemon in the nine-digit club. FIFA... EA Sports cited internal data plus sales of 2.6 million in the first five days after the game was released September 26th. In the 100 million claim made today in a news release, the publisher said FIFA 11 has already shipped 8 million copies to retailers and sales are up 20% over what they were last year. Matt Bilby, who as EA Sports Vice President of Football, has the best title this He said the following, Few video game franchises ever reached the 100 million units mark. It's a wonderful tribute to all of these fans playing FIFA 11 that our most popular and played downloadable content Ultimate Team is available and will be free for the first time ever. Again, very nice. FIFA games are always consistently good. They play soccer. You know, for those that play soccer, it's a great game. But um, nonetheless, congrats to those guys for sure. Um, Got to give a shout-out to Imperia Mist. I see that she's breaking out. But... Um, Again, EA, the, the FIFA franchise has been good, but it, I, just, I just call it roster updates. I wish uh, my buddy Rob Prophet was around. He's actually a huge soccer fanatic, and a, he loves to play FIFA, and he can share some insight into what separates the games year after year and what makes them better, and if there are actual improvements. You know, I'm a, I'm a novice when it comes to that, but 
I always feel that so many of these sports games are roster updates that I feel FIFA falls in the same category. But, again, if any soccer fans play FIFA, definitely feel free to call in and educate me on it just because I honestly think it's a roster update. With that said, that's going to wrap up the video game segment. we got lots to talk about in movies. I'm going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll talk some flicks right after this. The following advertisement is for VaughnStubbornRadio.com. Vaughn Stubborn Radio. We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. The Vaughn Stubborn Radio, we talk about everything in entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff. Have good mosh pitting! And because we're big fucking nerds, we talk about video games. We're big fucking nerds. We love video games. Fuck's sake, man. Rich loves the show. Yeah. Hey, Rich, you like the show, don't you? Yeah, man. Are you sure you like the show? <laughs> yeah, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. Isn't Born Southern Radio one of your favorite podcasts? Yeah, man. Awesome. Okay, hold on a second. But I was just curious. I'm thinking about coming to New York. Awesome. You live in New York, right? Yeah. You think maybe I could uh, crash on your couch? Uh, in the predominantly Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking... One of them shit. Um, Rich, I love you, but I don't know what the fuck he just said. In the Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit. Exactly. Okay, I, I don't know what Rich is thinking, but PornStuffingRadio.com is where you should be going right now. Here you go, get it! Have good mosh beating! Alright, and we're back. You know... That, that Born Stubborn Radio commercial always puts a smile on my face. It definitely freaks me out hearing the sound of my own voice, but um, it, it was, it's fucking funny as shit, man. Um, one thing I, I am going to ask for in the coming weeks is new commercials. I know a lot of you guys hear the same 30-second spots, and I apologize for that. Um, that's definitely a bit of um, a, a drop-off for me in terms of getting new 30-second uh, spots, but I'm going to definitely put a a bit more of an emphasis on it just because it helps uh, put a smile on your face, introducing you to new broadcasts and new personalities that are friends with my take radio. And I think definitely it's time to refresh some new content. So definitely in the coming weeks, I hope we can get some new 30 second spots to break up the show a little bit. With that said, let's talk some movies. Let's open it up with some Dark Tower movie news. Universal will be releasing The Dark Tower, the first movie-slash-TV project based on Stephen King's book, on May 17, 2013. Director Ron Howard, Akiva Goldsman, and Brian Grazer will adapt The Dark Tower with Stephen King, Imagine Entertainment, and Weed Road, which is going to have a bit of uh, tie-in with movie and TV series. The first season of the TV series will air between the first and second movie releases. A third film is also planned. I actually think it's a very novel concept. They want to do the first movie, do some filler with the TV show, leading into the second movie, and then possibly a third. Should be interesting to see. I mean, the Dark Tower books, they're fucking long reads. I, I think I read the first and possibly the second book. I don't know. I think it will translate well. I mean, you know, The Walking Dead, which is phenomenal on AMC, translated well. I think with the right people involved, it should be good. I think... The movies might be, I don't know if people are going to jump into the movies just 
blindly just because unless you're a Stephen King fan or you've read the books, it's hard to jump into the Gunslinger franchise, man, especially since they're such lengthy books. They're on Lord of the Rings level in terms of length, but who knows? We'll keep an eye on that for sure. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which I've been talking about for the last few weeks, finally has a release date. It's going to be June 22nd, 2012. Of course, it's being directed by, and I always kill this guy's name, Timur Beckman-Bedoff, who directed Wanted. And he's going to be involved with Tim Burton, who's going to be producing. The film is based on the book by Seth Graham Smith about Lincoln's about Lincoln's goal in life, besides abolishing slavery, was to eradicate vampires who fed off the slaves. Um, Josh actually um, read the book, and he told me that the book was fantastic, super violent, really graphic. I think if done right, it'll translate well onto screen. And you know what? It's something different. Who the fuck would have thought Abe Lincoln, Vampire Hunter? Ah, definitely weird for sure. But um, everybody says it's a really good book. I actually... Um, put it on my fiance's iPad, so maybe at some point I'll steal the iPad from her and I can read it, but um, definitely something I'm going to be watching with much interest because the concept is so original. In some casting news, Chris Pine, who of course you know as Captain Kirk in Star Trek, is rumored to be one of the men that producers want to play The Flash. Screen Rant reports that the rumor says that Chris, Chris Pine is being sought, is a very huge sought-after lead. Of course, there's no script. But that's the rumor as of now. I think that Chris Pine is a flash. I don't know, man. You know what the problem is? Ryan Reynolds fucking spoiled so many of us. Because he can play, he's playing so many people. Deadpool, Green Lantern, everybody thought he was a shoo-in for the flash. I don't know if Chris Pine can pull it off. I don't know. The flash is kind of like a wise-cracking, mellow dude. Hard sell. Hard sell with Chris Pine. It might work. But... I don't know. Fuck, I'd have to I'd have to really have to watch a couple more Chris Pine flicks and see if if he can pull off a role like The Flash. You know, The Flash role is 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 fun. It's it's fun. It's lighthearted, but there there's a lot of shit going on cuz The Flash has such a huge rogues gallery. I don't know if Chris Pine's the man for that. I actually was going to go and it and it's shitty to say, but I would go with Paul Walker for some reason. Works a little cheaper. He's decently funny. You know, decent, decent leading man material. I don't know. I mean, Paul Walker also sometimes can have the personality of a fucking doorknob. But as the Flash, it might work. I think better than Chris Pine, but that's just a rumor for now. We'll see how it. We'll see how it pans out. November 26, we're going to get some new Transformers stuff with the premiere of Transformers Prime on the Hasbro Kids Network, The Hub. Of course, this new Transformers Prime cartoon is going to borrow from the current Transformer films. Peter Cullen and Frank Welker will return to voice Optimus Prime and Megatron. It's going to, of course, have involvement from Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi. And, of course, it's going to focus on the classic battles between the Autobots and the Decepticons, but they're going to be using some of the new looks and, and some of the newer stories that were introduced from the movies. So keep an eye out for that November 26th, and you can catch that on The Hub. According to the crew at Bloody Disgusting, Saw producer Mark Berg is teaming with Carl Mazacone, and they're going to bring a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre to the big screen with Leatherface 3D. 
The report states that Lionsgate and Twisted Pictures are putting the finishing touches on Adetta Marcus and Adam Sullivan's screenplay. The story is going to actually take place shortly after the original Tobe Hooper Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then it's going to flash forward 35 years, and there may be an involvement with a cult. Again, Texas Chainsaw Massacre digging back into that fucking bucket. Of course, this is all an excuse to do chainsaw effects in 3D. We all know it's not going to be that good, and we're going to, we're going to accept that it's not going to be that good. Ugh. Slick actually just confirmed and corrected me that Transformers Prime will be debuting 11.29. I have here 11.26. So one of us is right, one of us isn't. Slick is usually pretty on top of this shit, so I'm hoping it's the 29th in the event that one of us is wrong. Mark one of those days off your calendar. It's either the 29th or the 26th. Ah, he got it from the Hub's website. So we'll go with that. Slick wins. 11:29. Transformers Prime on the Hub. Thanks, Slick. Moving on. John Carpenter is set to direct a new comic book adaptation. Shock to shock till you drop is saying that the legendary horror director will be bringing the Dark Child franchise to theaters based on Randy Queen's comic book series. The series is about a teenage girl named Ariel Child who is cursed to become the creatures from her many recurring nightmares. Every time Ariel transforms, she, set, she sheds her skin and a new nightmare emerges from her to act out her deepest, darkest impulses. The comic came out during the late 90s through the early 2000s and even outsold Spider-Man, Superman, and Batman in both domestic and foreign, and foreign audiences during that period. There's actually a poster that was created for the announcement, and I will be posting it on the My Take Radio forums and on the Facebook fan page either later on this evening or at some point this weekend to get some of your thoughts. Again, I think that something different. I, 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 John Carpenter's involvement is always interesting to see, and a, and a property like Dark Child, definitely a bit more obscure. I wouldn't mind seeing John Carpenter involved in an adaptation of The Darkness. I think The Darkness being brought to the silver screen and John Carpenter being involved would definitely be interesting. My only other pick for The Darkness would be Robert Rodriguez, but I think John Carpenter, in terms of capturing that real scary feel of the Darklings, would be good. But this Dark Child concept looks good based on what the poster looked like. But you know what? Sometimes the posters aren't the best indicators for the quality of the movie. But I don't know. I'm, I, I'm interested. I'll tell you that much. Let's talk some box office totals. Obviously, it was a no-brainer. Saw 3D was going to be the number one spot. Gee, I don't know. It's in 3D and 3D tickets cost more money. Nonetheless, the final film brought in $24.2 million. Um, that's a jump from Saw 6's opening weekend, which was 14.1 last year, but below the $30 million weekend that the second through the fourth films did. The film had a budget of $20 million. Um, obviously, very profitable. Let's see if it stays in the top ten for the coming weeks. $24.2 million is nice. Paranormal Activity dropped to number two. It grossed $16.5 million. It's grossed $65 million with a total of $87.9 worldwide on a $3 million budget. Definitely a hit for those guys. Not the runaway juggernaut that the original, pan, pan, excuse me, the original Paranormal Activity was, but, hey, 
87.9 million return on a three million investment, not bad. Bread held its own at number three, 58.9 million, 10 point million for that weekend, 64 million worldwide, off a 58 million dollar budget. Jackass 3D dropped two spots to number four with 8.4 million dollars. The film has grossed 101.6 on a 20 million dollar budget. Hereafter dropped to number five, 6.3 million dollars total. 22 million gross, had a budget of 50. Secretariat dropped to number six. Social Network dropped to number seven. Had a $50 million budget to Social Network, and it's made $111.9 million worldwide. Life as we know it dropped to number eight. The Town dropped to number nine. And Conviction, which was actually seeing a wider release, made $1.8 million with Hilary Swank and Sam Rockwell. $2.4 million out of a $12 million budget. Here's a nice new concept. Of course, when 2012 was the big buzzword, what happened? We got a 2012 flick. Was it good? Eh. Was it shitty? Eh, it was middle of the road. Special effects were decent. Movie concept itself was fucking stupid. But here's one that will blow your fucking minds. This new movie is aptly titled 11-11-11. And guess when it'll be released? 11-11-11. What's the plot? On 11-11-11, a gateway is supposed to open and something will pass through into our dimension. That's the plot. Are you fucking kidding me? What about 10-10-10? Why didn't you make a movie about something crazy happening 10, 10, 10? No, we're going to do a movie about 11, 11, 11. I'm not even kidding you. Not kidding you. Wayne Rice and Richard Heller are producing this film. Here's a good one. Roland Emmerich. Boy, do I love that guy. He made that wonderful 2000 version of Godzilla, and he made the very decent and passable Independence Day. And I'll tell you why I call Independence Day passable. When Independence Day came out, I worked in a movie theater, and the movie made a shit ton of money, a shit ton. Back then, I watched the movie. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. Now that I'm older and I watch Independence Day, other than the Bill Pullman speech, it was eh, it was all right. It was decent. Will Smith's Welcome to Earth. You know, you don't notice shit like that when, when you're younger and you're fresh-faced. You're like, oh, this is fucking awesome. Now it's like, uh, welcome to Earth and fucking, you know, Jeff Goldblum's dad really, really just hitting those real Jewish stereotypes. Uh, you'd all be dead now if it wasn't for my son David. It's like, ugh, we get it. Stop being a stereotypical ass. I got to give credit to ONA. ONA, Opie and Anthony, for those of you that don't know, put me on to that. And, I, I, you know, I just, I just laugh my ass off at, 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 at fucking Jeff Goldblum's dad, just stereotypically awful. But um, you know what? Roland Emmerich, he hasn't learned after that real shitbag Godzilla movie. He's interested in making a movie based on found footage a la Cloverfield. Emmerich is working on a movie called The Zone, a stealth project that is joining the swelling ranks of found footage genre. 
The film will revolve around an alien invasion and would be improv-based with a cast of relative unknowns. One plays a haggard journalist in his 40s and 50s, the other a black man in his early to mid-20s who will be playing the role of the cameraman. Look, Cloverfield was successful because people were intrigued at what the fuck the movie was about. Seriously. They were intrigued at the concept of what could it possibly be that's destroying New York. After you watch Cloverfield, you'd go like this. What the fuck was that? Because I sure as hell did it. And I know at least five other people who watched that movie and were, they were dumbfounded. They're like, did I just fucking watch this bullshit? And now Roland Everett, who, who really just, he likes to make popcorn flicks. And nine times out of ten, they're so fucking paper thin on, on connection with the characters. Let, let me tell you, I watched Cloverfield and I can give two shits about anybody that died in that movie. When they did the casting call, they're like, all right, we need people to die in this flick. And, and a whole bunch of struggling actors went in, and they're like, fuck it. I'm in the movie for 90 minutes, and I get eaten by the monster. Fuck it. That means I get 90 minutes of screen time. Like, that's how the casting went. It, it really did. It, it, see, Independence Day had a bit more of a plot to it. The, 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 the 2000 Godzilla remake, paper thin. And the fact that Matthew Broderick was your lead, you asshole Roland Emmerich, why? I love Godzilla movies. I'm a huge fan of the kaiju genre. I love all that shit. Gamera, Godzilla, Jet Jaguar, King Caesar, King Ghidorah, Mechagodzilla. I love all that shit. Because it it's a throwback to the days when I'd sit in front of my TV on Sundays on Channel 5 and watch hours of Godzilla movies. I watch Godzilla cartoons. I did all that shit. And then you come out with, with, and they actually made a name for this genre called the found footage genre. Ugh. You, you just know that as soon as you create a niche genre, much like torture porn, like Saw and Hostel, the found footage genre, you're going to start seeing more of this shit now. You know, it was fine with the Blair Witch Project, and it worked okay for, you know, it worked well for Paranormal Activity and Cloverfield 2, but... You're just going to keep fucking going in there with actors who, yeah, they're relative unknowns, but it's just Roland Emmerich just puts out shit. He puts high-priced shit out. That's what he does. It's like buying a Pontiac Faro and putting a Lamborghini body kit on it. That's what Roland Emmerich's movies are. They're Pontiac Faros with fucking Lamborghini body kits. That's what that shit is. It's disgusting. It really is disgusting. Ugh. Slick says I need to pick up the phone. I do not see his hand raised. But let's try it. Slick, are you there? Yeah, what's up? What's up, dude? I didn't see your hand raised on the switchboard. Did you hit one? <laughs> yes, I'm looking at it. It's up. That's weird. Maybe i got to re refresh the board. Go ahead, bro. What do you got? A movie about alien invasion with a freaking haggard old war veteran and a young white dude. Let me guess, the other two people in the found footage are freaking whining-ass white biker dude 
and a freaking frail white girl. You never know. I mean, the one lead is a haggard journalist in his 40s and 50s, and then the other one is a black man in his 20s who's the cameraman. It, you know, it, you you know, dude, that there, it, you're going to watch this movie, and you're not going to feel any connection to the characters, and you're just going to wish them to die. Can I tell you, I watch Cloverfield now, and I get so excited when the chick has a monster growing inside her and she just explodes in a fucking blood bubble. Why? Because I can give two shits about her, and she fucking sucked. Yeah, she really did. It was terrible. And now this black dude running around going, Pills here! Oh, it's yeah, the you know fucking character left for dead. Yeah, he, you know he's going to perpetuate the black stereotype, and he's going to be like... Man, I'm not trying to get eaten by no monster, man. Or I'm not pointing this camera at no aliens, man. What the fuck are you talking about, crazy man? Like, they're going to perpetuate the blackness because you know it's going to happen. It happens with any movie where the lead is some sort of a minority and it's always either the Spanish guy complaining in fucking Spanish or the black guy like, nah, hell nah, I'm not going in there, yo. Because, you know, they got to do that. Welcome to Earth. I mean, it's fucking stupid. No fucking black dude in any situation where people are just dying everywhere is going to be walking around like, I got to get this on film. No, he's like, I got to get the fuck out of here because I don't want to be the fucking stereotypical first black dude in the fucking horror movie. That's right. That the is Spanish dude, too. Yeah, the Spanish dude be getting it, too. It's on, it's, it's really crazy. But you know what happens? Like I said, the found footage genre. Get ready for it, because it's coming for that ass. <laughs> Fucking found footage. Which yeah, means somebody's watching genre. the found footage saying, why was this dumb fucking black dude walking around with a camera instead of getting the fuck out of there? Well, you know what it is? That found footage genre is just an excuse for them to use a $5 camera. We're going to film this whole movie with a flip cam. Jesus That's Christ. what that is. We're going to film this movie with a flip cam and then charge fucking 15 bucks for it because it's going to be in 3D. Uh. Yeah, well, don't worry about it, dude. It, 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 it gets better. But you know what? While I have you on the air, I'll tell you about this. The Walking Dead debuted with 5.3 million total viewers. That's the largest audience for an original AMC series. That includes 3.6 million in the adult demographic of 18 to 49. The back-to-back ratings, uh, the back-to-back re-airings had a total of 8.1 million viewers. As someone who saw The the Walking Dead, you know, um, I obviously enjoyed it and put up a review, but now that I have you on the air, what would you think? I love the show. I just I just want to vote the, um, the cop for dumbest white guy ever. I mean, dude, you wake up. You obviously figured it, that a long fucking time has passed since you fucking went under. Your fucking muscles are atrophied. Everybody's dead in the hospital, and you see this fucking rotting hand come out of a door at you. And you're like, gee, I wonder what that is. You fucking get a bike, and a fucking half torso comes at you. Oh, God, that was scary. But you see this dude walking in the street, and you're going to try to fucking ask him for help? Like, well, no, dude, you know what? 
you know what amused me? That he's walking up to the hospital doors, the double doors, and it's like, do not open, dead. And it's, a, and it's like, don't stare at the hand, motherfucker. Why don't you read the wall? Don't open this shit. There is some dead shit in there that's going to eat your ass. Do not open it. Oh, no, I'm just going to stare at the hand. Like, there were a lot of, and, I, and you know what's funny? It amused me because you can tell that there was little homages to those old zombie flicks where dumb shit like that happened. Absolutely. Yeah, let me look at this door. Like, at least he wasn't going to open it because, you know, it would be it would be stupid if he did. But I like the fact that they took the time to just, throw, you know, like him riding away on the bicycle. It amused me because, you know what, those fucking zombies are so slow that you could probably outride them on a bicycle. They're not the running zombies. If they were the running zombies, you'd be fucked. Yeah. But they want to go with the slow lumbering ones. And, of course, you know my opinion on the whole horse situation. Oh God, that poor horse! <laughs> the horse, the horse got it bad. But you know what? And and I'll share it with the listening audience. Shortly after the um, Slick watched this, he sent me a a BBM talking about you know that it was unfortunate what happened to the horse, and I decided to share my thoughts with him from the horse's perspective. And it, it went a little something like this: I'm a horse. I'm minding my own fucking business. I'm eating grass. I don't got to worry about no zombies eating me fucking Wild Bill Hickok comes in here and says to me, hey, we're going to ride into town like fucking gunslingers and nothing's going to happen. And then your dumbass rides into a crowd of zombies and you leave my ass to get eaten. And you proceed to hide in a tank and shoot a zombie and then the fucking reverberation from the gunshot leaves you nearly deaf while I proceed to become zombie dog food. Thanks a lot, dick. You should have left me eating grass. Why couldn't you fucking siphon gas out of a out of a car that was abandoned and put in your squad car? I could have been eating grass and shitting for the rest of the season. My thing was like, <laughs> I was like, from the moment you fucking exited the hospital, and I'm like, don't get me wrong, I love the show. I'm just the dumb shit I saw this guy do. Like from the it's moment hilarious. you exited the hospital and you saw fucking abandoned military vehicles. My ass would have picked up some guns and gotten that fucking Hummer. Well, that's what happens. You, you know, there's a lot of shit, and we can yell at the camera, but that's the beauty of that show. Like, there's so much shit going on. It's like when you walk out of the hospital and you see dead bodies wrapped in blankets with rope, we're, we're not lynching black people, folks. Something fucking big went down. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a, it, it's a blanket with a noose around it. This, this, this isn't during the time when blacks and whites were separate. So obviously some shit went down when you got to tie people up with blankets and put a bullet in their head. Some shit went down, and I need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> that, but it was, it was highly enjoyable, and that's what I liked. I liked the fact that it was serious enough, but there were so many little things, so many little nuggets that you just looked at, and you're like, wow, that's, you know, like like when the like look, like when the black when when the black guy's son hit him in the face with a shovel. That was gold. Let, let's think. <laughs> let's think about this realistically. If I hit you in the fucking face with a shovel, you're gonna be fucked up. Some teeth are gonna be broke. A lip is gonna be swollen. You're not just gonna crack him gently. You you don't just give him a love tap with the shovel. That little kid swung that shit like a little leaguer swinging a bat. I got him, Daddy. I got him. 
No, I love the way the, the black dude ran up on the zombie like he was trying to fucking rob him. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was it was hilarious. He runs up on the zombie and puts one in his dome. And, and you know, the, the, the cop wakes up, and he's like, did you shoot a man? He should get up and be like, why the fuck did you hit me with a shovel? <laughs> but again, man, it, it, very well done. One of the best, uh, again, one of those really great things. Frank Darabont did a kick-ass job. Uh, Robert Kirkman, fantastic work on the book. And, and seeing this brought to life is, is great. And I like that AMC took a chance on it, and they didn't shy away from the blood, and they gave it the justice it deserved. And I'm, I'm really hyped, man. It, it's only six episodes, but it's going to be six episodes of fucking awesome. Exactly. <laughs> I can't wait to see what they do next week. Basically, if you haven't seen this show, you, you need, to. need to download that shit, find it somehow, see if your fucking cable provider has fucking on-demand or something, or hopefully well, actually, AMC airs it again. Well, actually, you can go on AMC's website now, and you can watch it for free. Everybody needs to see that. Anybody listening to this broadcast needs to see that shit, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anything else you need to add, my friend? No, I'm sure you got more horrible shit to talk about. Oh, I'll yeah, call I back if I have to. You got it, brother. Thanks. All right. All right, let's run through the rest of this stuff. If you guys want to call in and discuss The Walking Dead or any of the other stuff, 347-324-3541 is the number. Again, 347-324-3541. All right, let's go through the re- some of the rest of this movie stuff. Leonardo DiCaprio sets a star as a character called H.H. Holmes in The Devil in the White City. The story is based off Eric Larson's nonfiction novel, which is about Henry Howard Holmes, a.k.a. Herman Webster Mudgett, a man that confessed to 27 murders in the 1800s, but is thought to be responsible for as many as 200. DiCaprio has been wanting to play a role like this since he was in talks to play Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. The film will be produced through his through DiCaprio's Appian Way Company. You know what? I actually wouldn't mind seeing DiCaprio as a really badass fucking serial killer or a badass villain. He he's he's such a weird actor because he it's hard to take him seriously in regards to that. Just because, like I said, he has such a boyish face, man. But he's starting to become like an older dude. Like he's starting to look more old. And I don't know, man. I think him as a serial killer would rock. I'm being told that I we have another caller on the line, and of course, it it is the author of the my the my take radio review for The Walking Dead. It's none other than Ant. What's Ant, up, man? What's going on, dude? What's up? Not much. I just want to uh, throw some things in there about what you said about the show. Shoot. Uh, you were mentioning you were mentioning about um how actually I'm not sure if it was yours, Flick, because I'm kind of tired. But uh, when he went when he was coming out of the hospital and he saw the door that said "Do not do not open dead inside." That was actually different in the book. Like, it was it was smarter. It was done better in, in a TV show than the book. Because in the book, he still opens that door and he sees it like it's like a whole cafeteria full of, full of zombies, and like he just just barely makes it out in time to to keep the door shut and then he locks it. But like in the show, he just sees a hand coming out and he he's like, oh fuck this shit, I'm all, I'm getting out of here. So I, I think oh, there right. there really wasn't a problem with with him just looking at the hand and walking away. But, you know, I, I just found it amusing, though, because it's like, you know, you wake up from a fucking coma, you're groggy as shit, the hospital looks like a tornado hit it, and you see this giant 
painting that says do not open dead inside. I don't give a fuck what kind of morphine or drugs I'm on. If I see a hand stick its way through a, ch- through a padlock door, I am fucking running. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I think what made it worse was the fact that, like, he saw a bunch of dead people. He didn't know what, what was going on. Then he saw the bullet holes, and he's like, was there, like if I were him, I'd be thinking, was there a terrorist attack? Then he gets outside, and, and he sees all the, all the dead bodies in, in bags, and it's like, I don't know what anyone else in their right mind would think about that. Like, I'd start booking it. He didn't run. But, like, when he, as soon as he saw the military vehicles, it's like, okay, something serious went down. And, like, I, I, I would be in exactly the same situation that he was in. Like, I, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't be able to run because I wouldn't be able to think straight. Like, I'm barely even awake enough. I just got out of a coma. And now all this shit is around me. And I'm like, what the fuck? I can't even move fast enough because I'm atrophied, like you said. So I well, think it was been, done right. Well, I've been meaning to ask you, because you, you read the books. I haven't had the opportunity to read the books. In the books, what was the duration of time from when he got shot to when the outbreak broke out? Um, if I remember right, I think it was a, a few weeks to a month, but I'm not really sure. It has you know, been a while since I read the first few volumes. The, the only reason I ask is because, you know, they mentioned, you know, when the other, when the other people were talking, you know, his partner and, and they were like, oh, it's only been a few weeks. And I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, the world went to shit in a few weeks. Like, you know, like, it yeah, actually, feel like he was in a coma for so much longer, you know? No, he wasn't even in a serious coma. Like, he he got shot, and I think it was just the pain that put him out. And, like, he, he was just out of it because of, cause of uh, medication, I would, I would assume. But, um, yeah, he was only out for a few weeks. And and that's why, like, when you see Atlanta, most of it's empty is because, like, there weren't that many people left to be to, to be zombified. And when you see the whole, all the city blocks full of them, it's like that, like, it was, I guess they were all, like, like there wasn't, there wasn't millions of people in Atlanta at that time. Like, I guess, I guess everyone was leaving. So it didn't take that long for the for the virus to spread to that city. Yeah, that that was crazy, man. When he rode up on on the horse, man, and all the zombies. And it's funny because I liked how when he was riding up to the street, they conveniently had a nice "Do Not Enter" sign. Yeah. In the street, <laughs> you know, like I like I like little visual cues like that. Like that's kind of funny. Like oh shit, oh do not enter. Holy shit, there's zombies here. Now I see why I shouldn't have entered. Yeah, I like the fact that, like, the whole city was quiet. The zombies weren't really making any noise because everyone's already dead. They're not really chasing anything anymore. But as soon as he shows up, it's like, oh, shit. Well, the <laughs> helicopter... like, they all go nuts. Oh, yeah, the helicopter was hilarious because it just fucking flew by, and he's just like, okay, it's a helicopter. Fuck, it's zombies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, like, I like that. Like, I like I liked the panic. The panic was great, and he's like... He's like, yeah, I could probably outrun him on horseback. And it's funny because he's talking to the horse. And he's like, eh, it's just one or two. We could probably outrun them. And then it's just like, <laughs> holy shit, they just came out of everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> they're like fucking, they're like roaches. <laughs> I know. Like, the, the impressive thing to me is that, like, they had so many zombies in just that one shot, like just that one scene. I'm thinking there, there must have been a, a mad rush to get extras in that shot. And if if there's that many zombies in that scene, then the rest of the show, like eventually, eventually they're gonna have to, I guess, in the next season, get into the whole idea, of the whole concept of zombie herds. There's gonna be a shitload more zombies than that. Well, you know what I laughed at when they were eating the horse and they were pulling the horse's guts out. That you can clearly see it was a string of hot dogs with like blood on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, this show doesn't have the highest budget ever, but it's still making shitloads. 
Oh, no. Well, you know what was funny? I, let me tell you something. The makeup jobs that they spent on the zombies, I don't give a shit if they showed them eating fucking chocolate syrup-covered Italian sausages and hot dogs. I could give two shits. That motherfucker shot a little girl in the head, and that made my day. Oh, yeah, the fact that they could kill a horse and eat it, and then they can shoot a little girl in the head, it's like that's pushing boundaries right there on TV. Exactly, because, you know, a lot of people always, and I know a buddy of mine who um, he had issue with Alien versus Predator because children were getting killed. And, you know, we were talking about it, you know, just sitting down, and I was like, you know what, dude, but we got to be realistic. If some shit like that went down, like aliens invaded or zombies invaded, they would not discriminate. Men, women, children, cats, pigeons, fucking marsupials, everybody would get killed. So, you know, in keeping, in keeping with that tone, I respected the fact that, you know, there are going to be zombie kids, just like there might be zombie fucking babies, too. Yep, yep. I would actually like to see something like that. In fact, well, you know in, the, in the books, if I remember right, that was one of the concerns, was that I don't want to be too spoiler-heavy for everyone else, but if, if you read the books, um, Lori, Rick's wife, is pregnant, and one of the the going concerns with, like before she had the baby is whether or not the baby's going to come out as like a living dead or as a, as a person. Well, that's like something, were, and it's... Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I, I was kind of like cutting off my own conversation there. No, what I was what I was going to say is that, you know, that's one thing with zombie flicks that I've noticed that you never, they they cross certain boundaries, but when it comes to, like, babies and shit, like, like not for nothing, and, 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 you know, it may just be me because I'm just that type of a character. If I did a zombie flick and the zombies wander into a hospital, there's going to be a zombie eating a baby. I don't give a fuck. Oh, yeah. You know, well, because, when it gets to the maternity ward, it's going to be friggin' frenzy. It's gonna it's gonna happen, you know what I mean? Like you have to acknowledge that. I think that in some in some respects, you know, there's that there's still that realm of control with that sort of genre, but when you're thinking about a plague that takes over a complete planet, you know, or a complete country, you have to acknowledge the fact that not all the zombies are gonna be adults. Mm-hmm. That's why one of the reasons why I like the I like Dawn of the Dead, the remake so much, is because it pretty much said, All right, we got a little girl that's going crazy and you have to kill her. Okay, she's like not even 10 years old. Then at the end of the movie, it's like we have a, ba- a newborn baby that's a zombie. It's like, okay, exactly. they pushed two envelopes I never even knew, knew were open yet. The fuck? Exactly, but you know what? That, that sets it apart. Like, the fact that you're referencing that and that wasn't even one of the strongest zombie flicks that have been out shows that, you know, it, it, it's, it's something that, that's worth delving into a little deeper. I'm not saying it to be macabre, or I'm not saying it to... But, you know, it's shit where if you want to convey a story legitimately, you have to look at all facets, including the ones that people don't want to think about. Yeah, you have to really... really I, I know zombies aren't real, but to be quote-unquote realistic, you have to really get the idea across that these zombies are fucking serious. They're not going to... Like, the babies, children aren't going to always find a way out. Like, an alien, friggin' newt, somehow hidden in the, in the air ducts, which the aliens were crawling through and survived for weeks. Like, exactly. that kind of shit doesn't actually happen. Yeah, well, that shit didn't go down in Aliens versus Predator. You know that. That little boy that was hunting with his old man had the old oh, face, the, the old chest burster come out and give him a, a, a nice cavity in his chest. You know, but that's what I'm but saying. Like, those are things that have to be looked at in terms of keeping things. I mean, I've seen, you know, the, the, the Lucio Falsi movies, the old zombie flicks, and they used to push the envelope, too. But in terms of, of pushing the envelope on a TV stage, 
I, I give him credit, you know, for having the zombie little girl and him just blowing her fucking brains out. You know, that that's big, especially from a TV standpoint, because you're really showing a kid getting killed on television. Yeah, I remember, like, like a, not even that long ago, there wasn't any channels that had uncensored kind of stuff like that. Now we have... Uh, we have IFC, we have AMC, like just channels that will that don't give a shit and will and will play whatever they want. Even Comedy Central is starting to lower their their, their censorship rules. It's like I'm, I'm I'm happy that we're allowed to put more more that we want to see on TV and less catering towards the the happy happy go lucky like Bible talking well, crowd. It's like oh, I don't want to see anyone dying or any kind of graphic th- uh, scenes. We got to cut those out. Let's make it all happen in a shadow somewhere. No, well, fuck no, that. You're, you're like, right. It's going to happen. Let it happen. No, you're right. And you know what the the best part of it is? It, you, that they're doing it in the right facet because it's Sunday, it's 10 o'clock. You know those kids should be sleeping because they got school the next day. You know, you, there, there's no complaining. I feel that if you're on, on cable and you're paying for for the channels, that you should be entitled to some to some liberties. I'm not telling you to fucking ball bags and tits on my screen, but – Definitely, you know, you, you can if you're in a in a in a moment of crisis and you're like, "Fuck, man, we're gonna die." You know, you should you should allow your character to say, "Fuck, we're gonna die," because you know what? If it was really that sort of a situation, we're not gonna sit there and go, "We're gonna die, man." We're gonna be like, "Holy shit, motherfucker, we're gonna die." You know, that's what you <laughs> want to hear because that's conveying legit emotion. That's one thing that one point I raised in the review actually was that that. In the Walking Dead TV series, it seems like they're talking more like people would actually talk, and less like how uh, writers would would want them to say it, to speak. Like, like, oh, this zombie infestation has to be put under control. There must be something we can do instead of, oh shit, we got to do something about those zombies. That's right, and that's what you need, though. You need to convey the dialogue in such a way that it reflects like these people are in hardship. These people are, you know, you can be breakfast tomorrow. Yeah, like these people are real normal people that are thinking under extreme stress and paranoid states. And it's like you can't, you don't always think clearly like that. And when you don't think clearly, you don't speak clearly. That's that's something that they don't do in a lot of TV shows, especially in war movies and stuff. Like these people are talking like high-class generals and they're like grunt soldiers. Like I don't like to see that kind of shit. I I can't relate to that. Nope, you need to, well, you know what's funny? If you ever get the opportunity, see a show called Generation Kill which is, uh, it was put out by HBO, and basically the reason why I wanted to, to, to mention it, um, and, I know, and I know, you know, we're a little pressed for time, but I, the only reason I recommend you to see that is because a lot of times, you know, they show the stuff that's going on in war, and they don't really show you the other side of things, and Generation Kill kept it real. Like, there's a part where, you know, a soldier's reading a letter from a kid, and he's like, dear soldier, blah, 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 don't get killed, and it's like, and the guy's reading the letter, and he's like, this fucking kid has no idea that i got to fucking dodge landmines every day. And he's telling me not to get killed, little prick. You know, but, that, <laughs> but you know what? It's fucked up, but it's legit. It's real. That's the kind of shit I like. Yeah, you need to see That's children always be. Like, they, like, I think the, the writers of TV shows, they need to take a step back and actually think outside of their own person, personal way of writing. Really, like, just, just take a look at how people talk. It seems like they're, they're out of touch with reality half the time. I mean, we live right. in a world full of people who, who just who talk either slang or improper English, and then we have TV shows, which is like, yeah, you follow it, and you're just listening to them talk so you understand what's happening on the show. You're not listening to the talk to actually listen to the people. 
There you go, dude. Well, I wanted to tell you, man, you you had a great review. You had a great review of the show, and we're actually going to work on something really cool with it. That's going to involve all of us, and we'll talk about it definitely over the weekend. And um, if you haven't read Ant's review of Walking Dead, uh, the premiere episode, I suggest you do. It's actually one of the most viewed articles this week, so definitely check it out. And again, great work, bro. Thank you so much. All right, man. Anything else? No, that's all I got to say. Oh yeah, um, make sure you guys check out the review for the comic book too, because I put that up before the show came out. That's right. He did do that as well. Definitely check out all of Ant's work regarding The Walking Dead on MyTakeRadio.com and look for Ant's rants for The Walking Dead premiere and Ant's rants for The Walking Dead comic. Oh, one more thing I had to say that I found out during the party I was at this weekend is that we have certain fans that are going around on my posts in particular and rating them one star just to troll me. So if we can just get that taken care of somehow, ah. uh, one person named Jeff McCarran, yeah, he's a... He's well, admitted to just doing that every morning now. Well, I, I understand that, and, and, you know, that's fine, and I'm glad you brought it to, to my attention. But, you know, I, I'll, 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 share, I'll share my thoughts with that when we're off the air. Yeah, we've got to do something about the rating system. All right, dude. All right, have a good one, man. All right, man. Later. Later. All right. We've got a little bit of news left, not too much stuff. Here's a good one. Good old Charlie Sheen, you know, drunk, wasted, coked up, hooker, hooker locked in his closet. Yeah, that guy, two and a half men. Well, besides that, he's working on a couple of projects, and there's a couple of rumored ones that he may be involved with, which you won't even fucking believe. First off, Sheen is said to have a starring role in an upcoming film called Guns of the Dead. I don't know if it involves zombies or not, but that's the title. In addition, he might also land a role alongside Tom Berenger in Major League Four. That's all I have to say. Tom Berenger, Charlie Sheen, Major League Four. Not only that, but he also may be involved as a washed-up but useful CIA type who chases Bruce Willis in The Expendables 2. Well, there you go, Charlie Sheen. Coked up, hookers, drugs, alcoholism, just being a wacko but still making that paper. Major League Four, possibly The Expendables 2, and Guns of the Dead. Moving on, according to the Heat Vision blog, Scarlett Johansson will star in a sci-fi film called Under the Skin. The film is at the American film market right now looking for buyers. Basically, here's the concept. Scarlett Johansson plays an alien on Earth disguises the perfect aesthetic in the perfect aesthetic form of a mesmerizing woman. She scours remote highways and desolate scenery looking for her greatest using her greatest weapon to snare human prey, her voracious sexuality. She is deadly efficient, but over time becomes drawn to and changed by the complexity of life on Earth. With this newfound humanity and weakening alien resolve, she finds herself on a collision course with her own kind. Taking her point of view throughout the film presents a unique look at our world through alien eyes. All right, that's all great and all, but didn't we see that movie before and it was called Species? Fuck, man. I'm not going to shit on it until I see a trailer, but really, it does sound like Species with a heart. It's like Species the Love Story. That's what it sounds like. Uh, moving on, Brian Singer put out a little bit of news regarding X-Men First Class. When asked about the plot, he said it's about how Xavier, if you know the X-Men universe, it's about how Xavier and Magneto met and became friends and how that friendship turned into something else. The movie takes place in the early 60s and incorporates some characters I was able to bring back in time that are familiar. 
as well as some new characters, new mutants. There's also a new villain component, a really cool villain and a villain group, which is probably the Hellfire Club. It's a really cool and fun story. It'll be the first Silver Age Marvel movie. When asked about the era that the movie is taking place in, he said, we set first class in a time when the X-Men were conceived in the early 60s, up against political events that were happening, the early civil rights movement, and we have these kind of events at a time when the world didn't know mutants existed. In his reg- when asked about his love for ensemble films, he said, I'd love to do, I do love having peripheral characters that you can work with, particularly if you can find ways to make them relevant to the picture. It also gives you more to cut to. There's more going on. I find ensemble films, for me, as easier, juggling the characters and films that center around a single character because you have nowhere to go with your story, with the, and, nor with the camera. So I do enjoy ensembles a lot. Well, a lot of rumors are pointing to Hugh Jackman possibly having a cameo as Wolverine in the movie. I don't know how legit that is, but doesn't that kind of erase any of the canon from the X-Men trilogy where Cyclops and the X-Men were meeting Wolverine for the first time? Definitely puts a little bit of a wrench in there if you're trying to separate. If you're doing a totally separate reboot of the story, fine. But if it's, in, if it's any kind of canon in any shape or form, it's going to be difficult to pull that off. But, again, I'm going to use a wait-and-see approach and not shit on it too crazy. Silent Hill, which, of course, was one of the better-received video game movies, is going to be getting a sequel Bloody Disgusting reports that the movie is going to be titled Silent Hill Revelation 3D. Obviously, it's going to be in 3D. No, 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 no surprise there. The movie will feature the Heather Mason character as the lead. She was the protagonist in the video game Silent Hill 3. So there you go. In some Spider-Man movie news, we got some casting news. Martin Sheen has been cast as Peter Parker's Uncle Ben in the Spider-Man reboot. Andrew Garfield, of course, is Peter Parker. Emma Stone is whatever love interest she's going to be. Reese Ifans is supposed to be the Lizard. And now there's also rumors that Aunt May will be played by none other than Sally Field. So Sally Field and Martin Sheen are going to be playing Ben Parker and Aunt May. (sighs) I don't know, man. I mean, you know, Cliff Robertson was good as Uncle Ben and Rosemary Harris was good as Aunt May. It's like, fuck, I know you guys want to reboot everything, but damn, they were pretty solid. It is what it is. Spider-Man will be released July 3rd, 2012. That's pretty much it. Let's get a couple of plugs out of the way. If I leave anybody off of the list of plugs for the show, by all means, you can click the links page on mytakeradio.com, and you can see any of the links there as well. Got to give a shout-out to RazorClothing.tv, SuperheroStuff.com, uh, GamerWave.com, BrandedBaron.com, GoCreedGo, GiantSparrow, DrinkDocs.com. Uh, Angel Thanatos from Girl Gamer was in the chat room. She had to bail out because she had some stuff she was working on, but nonetheless, GirlGamer.com, huge supporters of the show. GamingAngels.com. MMA Gospel, you can catch them Wednesdays at 8.30 on the Blog Talk Radio Network. You can catch Gary and Amy giving a nice, un-fucking-scripted un- view on MMA, giving great insight, great opinions. They also have fantastic guests. Um, some of the guests they've had recently, they had uh, Randy Thorsvig, who was actually a really great guest. He, was, um, he actually had overcome alcoholism, and he was at o- over 400 pounds, and he actually made his first professional debut as an MMA fighter uh, recently, and he actually was victorious in his match. 
So definitely a great interview. You can listen to that on MMAGospel.com, or you can go to Blog Talk Radio slash MMAGospel and check that out as well. Shout out to the Darksiders crew. THQ announced that Darksiders 2 is being worked on, so I'm hoping that I can get Hayden and the gang back on to discuss Darksiders 2. Brooks McBeth, of course, one of our earlier guests. I want to have him back just to talk some stand-up and some of his upcoming projects. You can check him out on YouTube.com slash Brooks McBeth or look for Brooks McBeth on Facebook. I'm friends with him as well. And you can let him know that you caught his appearance on the show, and I'm sure he'll add you. Shout-out to the VGN radio crew. You can check out the VGN network, so, network of shows, vgnradio.com, Cleveland Sports Radio, Tumbling with Tumbleweed, which is Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio. Of course, got to give a shout-out to Blaine at the bornstubbernradio.com and also host of the Born Stubborn Radio show. Of course, they don't have a set schedule. They actually uh, tape all their shows, but you can get them all on bornstubbernradio.com or look for them on iTunes. 411mania.com for all their kick-ass content, OC Remix for the great music provided to My Take Radio, MMA Junkie, of course, FilmDrunk.com. That's pretty much it. Anybody that I left off, including MMA Valor, who is our newest content partner and This Week in Wrestling podcast, you can check out their links on the link page on MyTakeRadio.com. Of course, make sure to stop by our forum, our Facebook fan page, and the Splatterhouse contest. Just to throw that out there and remind you guys, is officially live. There will be a post going up later on outlining the rules. Very straightforward. You can either do artwork or a photo with a Splatterhouse and the My Take Radio logos. You can either manipulate it in Photoshop. You can submit artwork. Very easy. My Take Radio, Splatterhouse logo, or Splatterhouse characters, either um, a picture uh, or a regular photograph. You can email that to mtrhost at gmail.com. Top five entries will be getting a Splatterhouse T-shirt from West Mansion. Like I said, I will be typing that up, and it will be up between tonight and tomorrow. And you have until December 2nd or December 9th. I'm probably going to lean towards December, actually, yeah, December 9th, just to give a little bit more time. So the Splatterhouse contest is officially live. If you're listening to this and you don't want to wait for the rules, Feel free to email those pictures to mtrhost at gmail.com, and we can put them up on our Facebook fan page. That's going to wrap up My Take Radio episode 64 for Thursday, November 4, 2010. Want to just thank everybody for listening. Again, questions, concerns, if you'd like to be a guest, you can email me at mtrhost at gmail.com. If you want to email any of our staff members, Slick, Andrea, Ant, Bronx, you can go to the staff link on the My Take Radio page, and their emails should be listed there as well as their Twitter accounts. In the event that they're not, by all means, drop me a message, and I will make sure to relay it to them as well. If you're on Twitter, you can follow my personal account. It's twitter.com slash akuma25. If you want to follow the show account and keep up to date with My Take Radio, you can go to twitter.com slash mytakeradio. MySpace, which I've heard is on its way out, you can catch the My Take Radio presence there as well. It's myspace.com slash mytakeradio. And, of course, our Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash mytakeradio. 449 fans. Will you be number 450? Stop by, show your support. Let us know what you like, you dislike, and interact with other listeners. And, of course, our forums, mytakeradio.com slash forums. Stop in there. Join in on the conversation. A lot of stuff that isn't covered on the show is covered there. Uh, more MMA, more wrestling, 
We talk about comics. We talk about toys. We talk about collectibles. Um, a lot of stuff with Street Fighter, a lot of Street Fighter talk, a lot of Walking Dead talk in there. And, of course, continue to go to mtmytakeradio.com to get all the newest content over the coming weeks. That's going to wrap it up. The outro music is provided by Epic NES. You can check out their MySpace page at myspace.com slash epicnesband. I will catch you guys next week. Hopefully we'll have some more guests. Maybe Virk will have his connection issues resolved, and we can rock and roll again next week. I'm Rich, and I'm out of here. Peace. Rich, yeah. <laughs>